Hello, friends, and thank you for tuning into the show. Before we start, I want to give a few brief updates. First, we will be having Jason Lum, the city councillor for the city of Chilliwack, coming on the podcast very soon. Other guests include Chanel Prasad, the owner of Alpine Legal Services, Bill Turnbull, the owner of The Town Butcher in Chilliwack, BC, and Angela Murphy, an author of Speak Up Wonder Pup and Breathe Up Wonder Pup, who is also a school psychologist. Now, my guest today is the manager of the Royal Hotel in Chilliwack, BC. It was built in 1908 and has served guests for over 110 years. We talk about stories of the hotel being a leader, family, responsibility, community, and values. Without further ado, please give it up for my guest, Leonard Weens. And we're live. Leonard Weens, it's a pleasure to have you here. Would you be able to start with a brief introduction of yourself? Thanks, Aaron. Hmm. Well, what, what does one say about themselves? Uh, you know, actually, the Chilwai born and bred. Uh, grew up here, uh, grew up in, uh, graduated from Sardis, and all my kids have grown up and graduated from Sardis Secondary as well, the same as I did. Um, spent some years uh, away from here and uh, university away from here, Winnipeg, and, and landed up in Alberta and Came back, uh, oh, but I think about 1980, uh, back to the area, and uh, been here ever since. Raised our kids, our grandkids are here. What's your favorite so, place about here, then? Oh, man. Th- that's a tough question, because it's a beautiful place. It really is. It's one of the nicest places. I mean, you know, where can you get a better place than where you're sitting and looking out over, uh, up at Mount Chiam, you know? Absolutely. And, and Mount Chiam, I mean... You know, sitting up at that ledge, just when people walk up to there and they come and look over the embankment, they go, oh, oh, that's got to be a great place. Absolutely. I just had my friend tell me a story of going up there in the snow and just the shock and the awe of going up to the top. Yeah. Yeah. place. I've never been, so I'll have to go. Oh, Aaron, you've got to do that. It's got to be, it's got to be one of the neatest things. And, you know, the other place that I really enjoy, and I was just out there this morning and that's up on Vetter Mountain uh, and I was, you know, running trails, but. There's some gorgeous places up along the mountainsides and the hillsides. Those are some of my favorite places. Awesome. Well, you are the manager of the Royal Hotel currently, and Mm. I'm hoping that we can start there just to give people an idea of how important that that location is to Chilliwack. Well, what can you say about a place that's 110 years old and has been there for that long, right? Right. And it's got this incredible story about it, right? Because the the Berry family, they weren't the first owners, but they bought it, what, about 1920 and until they sold it to its current owner, Alex Marks, uh, in 95. That family owned it for 70, you know, 70, 75 years. That's an incredible story when you think about one family that's owned the the business for that, for that many years. And, of course, there's all the legacies of stories that come from... Uh, Especially Mr. Buckberry, the last the last owner of it. Let's get right into so, it then. Oh well, there's incredible ones. You know, like apparently you couldn't walk into the restaurant with your hat on, and if you did, he'd come and put a hat stand beside you. And if you didn't get it after a little while, he'd come and make sure that you did get it and take your hat off. You know, so it's not a place where you wore where your hat. So there's all kinds of those kinds of stories, right? Yeah, we can't imagine that now. If somebody took your hat off your head for you, we would be outraged and. <laughs> Calling different societies to get protection. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it has all of those kinds of unique stories there. My brother at one point was uh, 
as, as much more recently, well, certainly Mr. Barry was still owning it, and, and it was a, one of those snowstorms that, you know, you'd get in the wintertime, and he was hauling milk, and he couldn't get through from Chilliwack back to Abbotsford, and uh, he landed up at the Royal Hotel, and Mr. Barry just looked at it and said, well, you're not paying for anything here, and uh, he just stayed the night, and the next day he moved on his way, and Mr. Barry just looked after him. Wow. So, you know, those are the unique kind of stories that are that are there over the years, and there's all kinds of other ones. Uh, yeah, there was one of a horse, right? Oh, yeah. Well, apparently the, the fellow, and, and he used to haul, he used to use his uh, mule packs and horses and whatever, and he hauled up to the Red Mountain Mine, which is just across the border, out, up the Chilliwack uh, River Valley, right? But apparently he... he uh, yeah, one day decided he brought his horse into the into the hotel and was going to bring it up the, in, uh, up the second floor, and apparently that's where he uh, where he took it. Unfortunately, the picture didn't turn out with him right, uh, with a horse up the stairs. But yeah, that's wild. Do you know an interesting thing about it? There's a young lady that works for us at the hotel today, uh, Jessica Henderson. She's his great granddaughter. No way. Yeah. Wow, that's full circle. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's got to be so much fun to work at a place that was built in 1908, right? Uh, 1908. Yeah, official opening, I think, was 1909. But 1908 is when it was built. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, that's the interesting thing about it as well. I mean, you you know, uh, somebody came along and said, well, you know, uh, where where would I find the breaker to turn this off? Well, you've got to go wandering all over the hotel, even just to find electrical breakers. Because, of course, they were they were set up at all different times of the of, over the years, right? Right. A, a breaker was added here. Breaker, you may remember that from when you were working there. Well, okay, where do I shut this off, or how do I turn this one back on? Right. Yeah. So there's all the unique kinds of little things there. That is a wild part about it because the hotel wasn't really like a full hotel the way it is today. You had it had to be built in a different way, right, to be able to hold. All, how many does it hold now? Well, there's at this point we've been we've been uh, selling 28 guest rooms. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so how did you have to redesign it in order to be able to hold all the? Well, we we haven't done that much now because that's the way it was. But you know, interestingly, there's all kinds of uh, drawings there of all kinds of different visions of of ideas of revamping it at times, and some of them had happened and some of them didn't. So there's you know there's there's uh, plans from uh, ones that were submitted and 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 uh, changes made to other plans which uh, were were you know just somebody's idea and they were never used. And it's intriguing to see that sort of stuff. Some of those aren't aren't mounted, but they really should be mounted. We've got them. We've kind of preserved them to make sure that because uh, you know where do where do you find that uh, at another at another hotel, right? Right. Yeah. Because other places they obviously just redesign, but to have such a historic site where people are trying to build yeah. and build the story into it. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the hotel? Well, other than that, it was started back then in 19, 1908, 1909, and, and I guess just those those few owners. Um, the other part, the other part is well, and that's a significant part of the story. Is in about nineteen fifty is when Mister Barry purchased what was the Royal Bank that was on the corner, right, which is today the uh, the Wellington Local House or the pub and, and the function space of sixty four behind it, and it was actually two buildings, right? There was a walkway or a space between the two buildings, and then he adjoined it the two buildings together. In fact, if you use the cafe or the pub bathrooms, that's where, that's that that's the part that was not a building at one time and they joined it together. And then now the guest rooms are above, uh, above the bank. I guess those were, I, I think there were management rooms of some kind or might've even been the accommodation up there, but it's all been redesigned up there. And so uh, you've got, you know, guest rooms where the bank was at, at one point, you know, above the bank there. 
So that was that was the the 1950s. And then of course there's been all kinds of things, you know, like the Chinese food. In fact, I think it's Canton Gardens. The history of Canton Gardens is the people that were involved in that were were very successfully operating the the restaurant at the at the uh, Royal Hotel for a period of time as a Chinese food restaurant. And then outgrew it and ended up doing that's, their own thing. That's right. So, you know, great success story, right? Uh, this wasn't the place for them anymore. They moved on and they, I mean, they're still in, in the community. It's It's gone through some, other, you know, ownership changes and stuff like that. But that's its history, I think, as far as I know. Wow. Can we talk about some of the rooms there? Because that's something that's so unique about the Royal Hotel is you're going in and having a unique experience with such an antique place. Yeah, there's all kinds of different rooms there. Uh, like uh, they range from what we call our, we've actually, re- we call them comfort rooms or a, a commoner room is what we're selling it on the Airbnb at this point as a commoner room. And those are 150 square feet. They're European sized, right? The kind of room you get in Europe with a queen size bed. And uh, they're that, that, and there's a you know, number of those. And then of course you get into the, the, um, the ant- what we call more the antique rooms that are, you know, they've got the wood floors and, and it's all, it's fur, they're fur wood floors, but they're hard as any hardwood and they're beautiful floors. They've been fixed. And of course, since 95, when Alex bought the place, so the current owner bought it, um, he's fixed up and redid all of those rooms so that they're uh, changed because there wouldn't, there used to just be the bathrooms down the hall, right? The common bathrooms. And so that's all been re- redone. So today you've got on the top floor, you've got the Royal Suite, which is about 450 square feet. It's got the hot tub in there in the one side and the king bed. It's our honeymoon suite or the Royal Suite. Yeah. And so we've got that beautiful suite and you've got the little balcony. You can sing to your spouse, down, your partner down below or, or from down up above or whatever, however you want to do it. And then uh, there's also, you know, a couple of other junior suites or whatever, two room suites and and uh, some of the rooms, of course, have, uh, well, let's put it this way. Like I said, the bathrooms were just down at the end of the hallway, right? And so that doesn't work very well today. So uh, when when they were creating the rooms, some of the rooms have the bathtub right in the room. You're sure, you know, it's, obviously it's for a couple. It's going to be one or two person uh, kind of thing. It's just one bed in the room, but you've got the tub right in the room. And so it was interesting uh, a few years ago, I was talking as a, a hotel convention and uh, uh you know, a person that I worked with over the years uh, was from, I forget which chain it was, but he came and he says, well, then, you know, why don't you just join our chain? You know, you could become part of our chain. And I said, well, you know, uh, David, let me, let me ask you a question. I've got, a, I've got this guest room. It's about this size. It's got one queen bed in it. Uh, but the tub is right in the room. Would that fit within your chain? Hmm. No, I guess it wouldn't, he says. <laughs> So what do you do? You keep operating independently, but but it's really unique kind of thing, and uh, it's it's been very you know the the, the design of uh, to make them suit for today has been has been creatively done, and so makes for some really really unique rooms. And then there's the the four rooms that are over the, uh, the you know what was the bank at one point we've called them our bank wing rooms, and they're more contemporary modern kind of room. But the one on the corner, just over the corner, you know, on the corner of Maine and Wellington where the entrance into the pub is down below. It's a beautiful room. Uh, it's got the corner windows in it and everything. It's a very grand grand kind of feeling room and lots of people just love it. And it's great for watching the Christmas parade in as well at this point. I can't imagine how nice that would be because the parade goes right down <laughs> That's right. our Wellington, right? Yeah. And so you get that experience yeah. and there's so many different types of rooms in there. Mm-hmm. That's got to be so unique because you did start back at the Comfort Inn at earlier in your career. Yeah. And you moved over to this. What was that transition like? 
oh, you know, for for me personally, well, first of all, I should just say that working with that comfort and the the chain, the Journey's End Company, which became uh, Westmont, that's where I learned my uh, my uh, my working in the industry to be able to do the job. And I would have never been able to run the Royal and uh, have it you know become the gem that it's been in the last few years in the community if it hadn't been for that experience. So I value that experience. But basically, those rooms were designed to be efficient. Okay. Um, so that a housekeeper could walk in and you could tell them exactly what the pattern is to do things in the room, right? And uh, basically, you had two rooms. One room had two beds, one room had one bed. And those were the two styles that you had, and that was it. Well, you come over to the to the Royal, and uh, first of all, it was nice to have head office wherever I was instead of uh, in Toronto or whatever. But beyond that, so that was a personal kind of thing that was really neat to have. But... Um, but, uh, you know, for housekeeping people, um, if, as an example, uh, you had to say, no, no, in this room, you do it this way because this room is different and all, and all these things are here. And uh, so you make an adjustment. And so, you know, it was, it, 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 was a, it was an interesting learning experience or learning part at that point, but it was a really neat thing and a, and a fun and a challenging kind of thing to just to make something produce that just hadn't been doing very well at that point. Yeah, that's so wild because now you're selling the history, you're selling the experience, you're selling the story. You're not just selling a bed one night, like at breakfast in the morning. Yeah, you know, I can just a little story about that uh, to add to that. And you're right; that's what it is. There are these little stories that come along. There was a, a lady that uh, stayed in one of our rooms uh, at one point, and uh, and and she was here because they were following up on some building project that somebody from locally had uh, sent them to, I think, in the U.S. at that time. Anyway, and uh, she was just intrigued by the history and, of course, uh, the question, and the, we talked a bit about that before, the, you know, is the place haunted or not, and all those kinds of things. And, of course, um, she, so she, and she was in, intrigued and interested in that kind of stuff. And uh, so she asked, and we said, well, basically, you know, it's not something we go around uh, talking a lot about, um, is it or not? I don't know, whatever. And then she said, but I get these orbs. You can take pictures with your, your cell phone typically, right? And uh, lots of orbs show up. And uh, and she said, oh, right beside, guess which room it was. There's a room zero in the hotel. Now you tell me another hotel that's got a room zero on the door. But that's that was, uh, apparently it was a, uh, at the elderly Mr., um, uh, Barry's room at one point, and uh, my understanding is that those he spent his last days in that room. So, but she says, whenever I go by room zero, there's more orbs on my camera. I can get more pictures of orbs in my camera than I can anywhere else. And uh, so, I don't know what to make of that. All I know is uh, it's it's part of the history and it's part of the intrigue of the place altogether, right? Absolutely. Do you have any other stories about the hauntings and of those stories? Because there are weird aspects of the hotel. Like if you go into what they call the homestead room, mm -hmm. there's a way of getting underneath the floor. Well, at some point, obviously, or at some point, the homestead room was, uh, was the pub or the bar, right? Or the beer parlor, I guess is what the right term would have been, uh, you know, as well, it's been a, a barber shop. It's been all kinds of things. But anyway, you're right. There is a there is a trap door in the floor there, and if you open that up, if you go down there, there's a nice big cellar down there, and then there's there's you can see the remains of the stairs that went out underneath the uh, what's the back of the building today. But it would have been the 
behind the building, the stairs would have come out. And it, I guess it was a place for uh, rolling beer kegs down and to make sure they stayed nice and cool down in the, in the, in the cellar. What else was all part of that? Who knows? Uh, don't really know. Yeah. Do you have any other stories to share with us of other experiences? Because I do remember a few others of waitresses working late at night yeah. in the cafe side of things. Well, it was interesting. You know, the one fellow that worked, uh, you might remember him, that worked at that time as a night as a night person. And I asked him one time, so do you ever hear anything, you know, unusual at night? No, he says, there's nothing anywhere to worry about. And then you may remember there was one housekeeper who said one day she was upstairs and she said, well, who was that? And she couldn't hear, she didn't know who it was. So she came downstairs and she says, somebody told me to come downstairs. And we said, but there was nobody up there that told you anything to come downstairs. And she says, yeah, somebody said I was supposed to come downstairs. And so she came downstairs. I don't know. I don't know what she heard or not. She says she heard a voice telling her to come downstairs. So. Yeah. I guess she did. Yeah, well. <laughs> I don't know whose voice it was. There was nobody else up there that we know of. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember from my experience just that feeling of discomfort when you're the only person yeah. in a hotel and you're sitting there at the desk and there isn't a, a resident in and it was still my responsibility to go check the hotel, make sure yeah. that because we did have vulnerable sides of the hotel doors right. that were hard to keep locked and we did have some trespassers at some yeah. points. But walking through a hotel that is 108 years old when I was working there <laughs> was wild. And there were a few experiences I had. I'm not going to call them ghostly, but mm -hmm. where I did hear, I thought it was Graydon working in the cafe. And then there was no one there mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I just went back there. I thought I heard some clinking and some moving around. And so I just unlocked the door, went to check, and there was nothing there. And what else can you say? And then... Can we talk a little bit about the other room uh, where you host weddings in? Because that one is mm -hmm. by far the most creepy room to me. Room zero is pretty creepy, but yeah. the area where you can sit down and um, there's a bar in the back. I forget yeah. what it's called. We call it the 64 function space or meeting room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you have any stories or any experiences there? I can't think of any that uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe... No, I can't. I can't, I can't uh, speak to anything there from uh, uh, about unusual stuff. It's got that interesting painting of the the nine pints of the law sitting up on the back uh, back of the stage, right? Right. These all, all these uh, uh, English bobbies with their their pints. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any any, any stories from. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's move on a little sure. bit to. Uh, just the essence of the hotel, because there are parts of it that are so unique and so old, because at one point in time, there used to be a male entrance and a female entrance, correct? Oh, yeah. So you still have, in the if you come in that function space of 64, uh, hanging at the in the one rear corner there, um, and that's actually where the men's bathroom is, and it, and it says men's entrance uh, above there in that iconic uh, uh, neon sign. And uh, yeah, it's it's rather unique to see that sign there. And of course, that was that was the uh, the uh, thing at that time where you had um, you know men's uh, men's entrance. Men were okay to be in there on their own, and then the other entrance was for ladies and escorts. And uh, unfortunately, the ladies and escorts sign is gone. But uh, that was that was part of the era of the liquor laws in, in the province and what was perceived as appropriate behavior for men and for women. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the interesting story of uh, Mr. Barry deciding that he needed to be able to serve his uh, his his, uh, 
his patron's uh, uh, beer just a little faster uh, because the liquor laws were such that I think he could only serve one glass at a time or something like that per person. And he felt he wasn't getting back and forth to his uh, clients fast enough. So he put the servers on the, on roller skates. And uh, so they were in, here they were down in the, in the bar, back and forth between the bar and tables on, on roller skates, just so they could get there a little faster. He was just trying to make a point, but that was the kind of character he was, I guess, uh, to make a point. Apparently the rules changed within a short time so that he could uh, serve more than one glass at one time. Wow, that is those are such unique stories. Yeah, the picture's still hanging in the in in the old pub there in the in the Wellington local house. The picture of the two guys and uh, I think the gentlemen have passed on, but they were longtime servers at the hotel for many many years and uh, uh, just carried that legacy with them, I guess. Yeah. So, what is it like to work there? What is it like to be able to share that with somebody who comes in for the first time? Well, it that's kind of fun. I think what what's even I, I've enjoyed doing that, and, and I, I guess actually Laura, who worked at the hotel, basically was a resident historian, and uh, she's the one that uh, really is the one that uh, would tell the best stories and whether we do that. I think one of the more unique things, though, is is the number of people that would come into the hotel and say, "Well, I worked here when." And then they would tell you the story, you know, and and just sort of hearing those stories, and it, it was the we tried to collect some of them, and some of them have been collected, but uh, it, it's really difficult because most of them are impromptu like that, right? And so somebody comes in, and the one day, and I'd got a picture of that. There was uh, there were th- three, you know, I would say, elderly ladies that came in at that one point, and uh, they came in and they said, uh, "Well, we worked here when, and then it was when the lightning struck the top of the hotel, and there was a fire in the hotel because of a lightning strike." And one of the, basically there were two housekeepers and the other one was the daughter of one of the, uh, the elderly ladies that was there. And, uh, the, the, they were the two, they were two housekeepers. They were housekeepers working in the hotel. And one of them was working right up in there where the lightning strike uh, hit and, uh, you know, just heard the kaboom and whatnot all and, uh, came down and I guess the fire was burning and they had to, you know, look after the fire for, uh, get, get, uh, I guess fire department came, whatever it was, but there was a fire because of a lightning strike at the hotel. Wow. And so hearing those kinds of stories, that, that, that's really unique. You know, how, how do you, how often do you find somebody that comes in and says, yeah, I was working here when the lightning strike. Yeah. And you didn't even know there was a lightning strike. <laughs> well, I guess there was a picture on the wall someplace oh, okay. that showed that, but you know, I didn't know who had been working there at the time. How would you know that? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you, you work there and you're the manager and I think it's so awesome to have you on because you bring something to the hotel as well. The hotel has a plethora of stories, but you've also done things to make that hotel kind of come to life again. And so I'm hoping we can start off with just talking about the piano and what you brought in. Oh, well, that was a neat, that was a fun, a fun thing. And uh, it's kind of run its course at this point, but it was a really unique thing. And, uh, you know, you a lot, lot of cities have that, you know, where you've got the outside piano, downtown piano or whatever uh, and whatever. And, and I just at one point I thought, you know, really, we need one downtown here as well. And uh, so it was, it, so I, I thought, well, okay, how do I do that? And so, you know, it wasn't something you want to go and spend a whole bunch of money on necessarily, but it's a very unique contribution. And so it was it was just so interesting and it was a real example of the community kind of supporting something that everybody sort of said well this is one 
Wonderful. So, uh, I first of all, I wanted to find a particular kind of piano. I wanted a small one, so it was easily movable because I knew we'd have to bring it in at night or something like that. You know, we'd have to do that. And so, I I kept looking around the Craigslist or wherever it was. And of course, pianos are many people want to get rid of their pianos, right? Because they're they're heavy and if they the downsizing or whatever it was. So finally, I found one that was exactly what I was looking for, and I found it in in Langley. And so I went with my uh, my vehicle to pick it up, and uh, and uh, the lady I think she was asking, I don't know, fifty bucks or something like that because she just wanted to get get rid of it because they were downsizing and moving out. And so I told her what we were going to use it for, and I said, "Are you firm with the price?" And she says, "Ah, sounds like a good idea. Just take the take the piano." So I took the piano and smiled and thanked her very much for it, and and uh, we we took the piano. And then I wanted to be able to roll it back and forth. And of course, piano casters don't work very good on their own. And so we needed to put it on a frame. And so a friend of mine that I knew uh, had uh, built a, a frame for a couple of other pianos, uh, you know, one in a church or I, I don't know where it was all, but he built, you know, a metal frame for it. So I went to him and I says, Walt, I, I need a frame for this, a piano. And he looks at me and he says, what, what do you want for it? And so I told him what it was and he smiled. He says, sure, I'll build that for you. And then he needed casters for that. And so he said, uh, well, he says, I said, well, you know, you, where do you think we should get them from? Well, he says, I'll go ask uh, Fortin's. And so he went to Fortin's and there's a good local community supporter, right? And he went to Fortin's and I don't know who exactly he talked to, whether it was, uh, you know, Fred or not, not Fred, um, ah, I forget his name. Anyway, who he talked to there and he, and he said, and they, they looked at him and they smiled and they said, sure, which casters did you want? And, and, uh, and then he needed some steel to build this thing, you know, cause it was steel and he went to his, his steel supplier and actually that was an Amosford. Uh, and he said to them, he says, look, here's what I'm doing. And they smiled at him and they said, sure, just what do you need? Take it. And that's the way it went. It went from one to the other like that. And so in the end, the costs were, costs were minimal. And, uh, and then I went, to, uh, and then I, I, uh, I knew that if we were going to put it out on the sidewalk, I needed to get in touch with the city, right? And uh, so I got in touch with somebody at the city and they said, well, what are you planning to do? How do you want to do it? And I said, so here's where we wanted to put it because just at the end of um, of Mill Street across on, on Wellington. And I said, that's where I think it, we should put it, you know, and we'd need to change. And they said, yeah, you'd need to chain it there. And I went to the insurance company as well. And this, but, but the city basically said, sure, what do you need there to make it happen? And and that's the way it went from one to the other. And, and uh and it was just a really neat thing. And and there were lots of people that came out and played, you know, um, uh, for the for the first while when we were able to, the first year or two, and especially in the summertime, it was it was just really neat to have it out there. Oh, and then uh, that was the other thing. We wanted some paint because we wanted to paint it. We wanted it to look a little different than an ordinary piano. And so I took it over to Cyrus Center and I said to the kids, there, you know, or asked them there, would you guys would be interested in painting it? And so they they said, well, if you get us the paint, and so I think it was Fortin's or somebody else gave us the paint and said, sure, here's the paint, you can do that. And so they put all their hands all over it, you know, handprints on it, if you remember that. Yes. And we called it Hands on the Piano was what the piano was. So it was just such a neat community thing to, you know, get everybody involved with it. It was wow. fun. Well, fun you, to do. You started it. Yeah, it was fun. Well, and it brought the community together and yeah. they had the opportunity to play it. And then there was one person who was playing it regularly, right? Yeah. In in the end, after a year or two, then, uh, you know, it, it, um, it kind of, uh, I don't know if it ran its course or whatever it is, but it, it, we, were, we were just treating it a little differently. But Thor, um, I think that's his first name, and he, 
he uh, he enjoyed playing it, and he would come at special times of the year, and he'd dress up as from Santa to uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera or whatever it was, depending on the season, and he'd do all kinds of stuff with it, and he'd play out lots of lots out there, and uh, and at one point we just realized that you know we weren't going to be looking after it any longer, and and uh, he'd always enjoyed playing the piano so much, and so at one point he. He, uh, we said, you know what? We don't want the piano here any longer. We're not going to do this anymore. And uh, so, uh, basically, I offered it to him, and he just smiled delightedly and said, "That would be great." And so he still got it. Uh, I'm not sure where it's playing today. He plays it in ver- various places, and there had to be some repair work. It's hard on the piano being outside. You know, after a while, it doesn't last that long, right? And but he'd actually done some repair work. He replaced a few pieces on it and stuff like that to keep it playing. And and so it's still. I don't know where it's at today, but it uh, it's 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 uh, it's carried on its journey. I think. Yeah, that's so cool yeah. because you're the person who keeps bringing life back to that hotel in different ways. And uh, throughout my time there, you made many changes to bring vibrancy and bring a modern edge to such a historic place. What what has that been like? Putting up different signs, changing rooms around. Well, sometimes people don't like it, but. Uh, I- I don't know. You know, we looked at it and said, you know, we've got to do something to make it to make it work and to make it contribute, right? To the to the and contribute to the community because I think that's what it did, and I think that's where even people like yourself and other employees that are there that have that have really been part of it to uh, to just do their part to contribute to it as well. You know, you think of somebody like Laura, who's uh, you know with Heritage Chilliwack and and. Uh, and you know her knowledge of the history. It's an interesting story when I hired her. I don't know if you knew that, but but uh, uh, she was one of the first people that I hired while I was there uh, when I when I arrived there, and uh, and I got her application because I was looking for some people. And on her application, it said that uh, she had written a uh, uh, a paper for a particular histor- uh, heritage class or something that she was taking an online course of some kind out of Victoria, and she had used the Royal Hotel as her her. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Her scenario that she was describing for for this class, and I thought, what an idiot I'd be if I didn't hire her. Yeah, <laughs> and of course it proved true, right? Uh, she's been an incredible contributor, as as you and others have been as well when you were there. But uh, that's one of the neat things of uh, being able to rearrange it and to make it so that it's uh, so it's good for everybody. And you've got to obviously meet some, you know, um, I don't know standards is the right word, but expectations of what guests expect today, right? And that's been one of the challenges, I guess, just coming to the COVID kind of thing. But that's one of the challenges that's been there because the uh, the way you've got to, you know, make sure that you disinfect today and do that kind of stuff to protect guests and employees working there. And so it's changed things again, you know, uh, to make sure that you do the job well so people are protected. Yeah. How have you been handling COVID? What is a, it's 110 years old now. Yeah. How has that been, this transition over? Because you... The hotel's been there forever, and it's never faced a pandemic like this. Yeah. What has that been like? It's been tough. Yeah, it's been tough. You know, it's a small hotel, um, you know, 20 guest rooms. And so the your overhead costs, of course, are, are especially with the full-time front desk staff, is, 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 a, is, a, is a big cost. So we've had to make some major, major adjustments to be able to survive uh, today. So we're um, we're we're operating much more as an Airbnb model right now, and um, and and you know doing some additional stuff, uh, have additional rooms available, particularly on weekends and stuff. 
but uh, but it's been very it's been very difficult. The industry's been I mean it's been really really hard on the industry overall, and in our case in in Chilliwack, uh, our particular hotel, it's been very difficult. We, you know, the industry is is um, well, it has its good strong months. You know, from about May, June, July, August, September, October, those are its strong months, with the strongest being July and August. And then the the other months, the year, the, you know, the 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 winter fall months, those are those are really tough months. And in and so if you don't make it during the during the good months, which this year there was no good month, and uh, so it it's made it really really tough. And so it's changed changed the model at this point. That's one of the th- reasons I wanted to have you on is because we spoke and you mentioned what the hotel was going through, and it was kind of like. Oh my gosh, a lot of what I've seen with businesses suffering and going down has not been as local. I have not seen a bunch of storefronts in Chilliwack or the Fraser Valley all closed up and locked down, but this is happening to a place I've worked and other hotels within our community. And as much as it might feel like, well, that's just a chain or I've never stayed at the Royal Hotel, so how does it affect me? It's like, well, it affects you because people are staffed there. People are employed there. Mm-hmm. Tourism brings in people into our community here, which keeps other businesses open. Like the hotel is what brings someone in. And then the next morning they go shopping and they eat breakfast and lunch and are part of our community for a few days. And that's what's been impacted due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And so what what can people yeah. do? What How can we start to understand this better? Yeah, it's a tough one because um, because it, it's you know you realize how important it is to to make some of those changes that have that have been made you know to reduce the international travel for example you understand that so but that's where you know uh, if we if we as a local community if we support our local businesses and you know get out there and uh, um, support the restaurants for example um, the uh, you know the attractions uh, do do stuff locally because you are locally so you can continue doing that from uh, from the guest room side of the hotel particularly um you know uh, first of all if you if you don't think that it's a good place to stay please do come and take a look at the place and realize how neat, neat and unique a place it is to stay but beyond that is to you know if you've got friends and family coming in and you need that extra space you don't want them staying in your house or whatever it is uh, you know, send them, send them to the local hotels, to the, you know, to the, the, the Royal Hotel or, you know, whatever other location it is. But, uh, you know, recommend the, recommend the place because it is a unique little gem in, in the community. It, it provides good service. The service is as good as any other place in town. And, and so. That's one you know. thing I've seen a lot of is even myself. I just went to Uclulet and had a fantastic mm-hmm. experience and lots of other people I've seen on social media are going there. And that's one thing that it's great to go to Uclulet and I'm happy I went. But I want people to know about this local place that needs our support, that needs our attention. Because if it doesn't get the support it needs, it ends up very much like the Paramount in those type of situations. Yeah. Luckily, I'm hoping we can talk now about who owns the the business and his impact and his support for this local gem? Well, you know, in 1995, Alex uh, Alex Marks or Choak Holdings, but Alex Marks is the guy that uh, uh, bought bought the place. And uh, you know, if it hadn't been for his commitment over the years, and I have no problem saying that, if it hadn't been for his commitment over the years, the pl- building the place to what it is today and also operating the place, especially over the years that I've been there, 
his support has been absolutely the best that it could be for somebody to you know make something like that happen and and uh, and it's and it's not that it's made him a pile of money in fact it's probably not made him any money at all over the years realistically considering what he's all put into it but he's just invested into it because he believes in the community and he believes in in looking at things of heritage and that that they have they have value and it's good for us to keep them around and to uh, make sure we understand how they contribute to our our community in part just because they they describe our history right um, they describe where we've come from and and how we've got to the how we've got to this point and so that's valuable from many perspectives but including the the hotel and, and its contribution to the community absolutely and alex is such an interesting guy because i think how you introduced me to him was there the owner looks just like a regular person he doesn't dress anything fancy and you were absolutely right and most of the time he's doing him and his son are doing the work to keep the, the main hotel. house yeah yeah and that's so interesting because it was so humbling to see the person who owns the building going in and fixing whatever the problem was today yeah. rather than hiring some outside person and a completely being disconnected from the business he owns. Yeah. No, he's he's very much been a part of it over over the years both in in terms of uh, at times running it more closely and over the last number of years more apart from that but doing exactly like you said uh, in fact uh, he often came in and he said, "Well, I'm just the maintenance guy anyway. What do I know?" And uh, well, he knows a lot more than just the maintenance, but anyway, but uh, but he has been doing he has been doing the maintenance for it, and and you know he's he's uh, it's not only it's not only the hotel. I mean, the hotel has been his 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 uh, his, his location for for a lot of what he's worked at, but he he's he's also owned other parts of the downtown at various times, and uh, you know, and his bought and sold or whatever it's had other businesses there and he still has some other ones in, in town as well but uh, that's carried a lot of things through uh, through some of the tough years that the downtown's been gone through is is the fact that he's been there and he's committed himself to saying well we've got to make sure that something happens in the downtown yeah that's so interesting because I know people get frustrated when people own big buildings and they get a little bit jealous and to have somebody who has that right mindset of trying to keep the downtown vibrant to support it because there are a lot of businesses that are empty and unsupported and unmaintained throughout Chilliwack I think it's been addressed a lot by city council mm -hmm. but he was he was never a part of that all the businesses that I ever saw him operating were always he was doing his best to make sure that they were well maintained supported and that if there were any issues they were being solved. Yeah. And so this leads yeah. me a little bit into when I started at the hotel, because mm. I started at Dairy Queen and positive years there, but then I started looking at other opportunities. I worked at West 49 for a little bit and, and then I ended up at Quiznos somehow for like a day and I had applied to the Royal mm. Hotel and I hadn't heard word back, but then you offered me for, uh, to come in for an interview and I let mm. Quiznos know. I went in and interviewed for the position and I did not think I was going to get it when I interviewed <laughs> because you were in a dress shirt and I was probably in some sort of Walmart dress shirt that was very low quality in comparison. And in my mind, it was like, this is a very important job. You were laying out the responsibilities of you will have to phone, you will have to make sure you're here, you'll, you'll have to make sure guests are happy, you'll have to deal with complaints when I'm not here, you'll have to check in on rooms. Um, and if you can help with our social media, that would be great. 
then I leave and I don't know if I have the position or not. You ended up offering it to me and I told Quiznos I didn't have them pay uh, for the few days that I was there because I was like, I didn't do you any good training, so there's no need. Mm. Um, and then I came and worked for you and that really let me fill my potential in a huge way because you weren't just fill each box exactly how I told you to and don't do anything more. You were very encouraging and you wanted me to bring my ideas to the table. If you see something we can do better, tell me and we'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, unfortunately, like there's nothing we can do. But you had that mindset of do what you can and bring you to the Royal Hotel. Bring some of your qualities, bring some of your skills and contribute to this place. And that was so humbling and it was such an honor. And you took that risk on me and I'm pretty sure I was only like, 17 maybe and so looking back on it now i was not all a put together person but you took your risk on me and gave me that opportunity what is that like to be able to give people these opportunities well first of all uh you know i'm i'm uh i'm sure i'm sure glad you you responded and you took the opportunity and came because it's certainly worked out it worked out very well yes. so so you you were worth the risk so I, that's that's the first thing. So thank you very much for for proving me right at that point, if that's what it is. Awesome. Uh, but you know, more <laughs> going going back to it, um, uh, you know, I I think I think I I can't say I remember exactly what I saw in you when you came, but I did see somebody that was uh, well. First of all, I knew that you knew more about social media and marketing. You could do that better than I could right off the bat. I knew that much. Uh, but, uh, you know, from what you, you described, but, but in addition to that, I think, I think probably what I saw was just a, a young person that was, uh, um, I think you weren't afraid to be upfront and to say exactly where, where you were at in, in the interview. And, you know, I, I'd have to go back to, I probably didn't keep enough interview notes at that point, but I, but I just saw the, the kind of thing that I thought, you know, this guy's interested in what's doing, uh, what he's doing. And I think, I think we can, we can work with him. He's trustworthy. He's going to be reliable and he's going to work at, at the stuff. And you certainly turn out to be that, you know, the other thing, Aaron, that, that, uh, that I learned many years ago as a, as a manager, as an operator or as a manager though, was, was that, and I think it came from reading some management guru many years ago. But he said, you know, if if um, if 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 you're going to be a manager, uh, what you have to be able to do is uh, you've got to find people who are going to be able to do the job that you're asking them to do better than what you can do it, because otherwise you might as well just do it yourself. And uh, and so when I looked at somebody like you and the other people that I've usually usually had working for me, I've looked for somebody that I thought, well, that person can do the is going to be able to do the job as well as I can do it and better. I'm going to train them. I'm going to give them the tools, and I'm going to ask them to you know make some decisions. So when you say that you know I was open to getting information from you, well, that's abs absolutely right. I think I I do want to do that because. In the end, you should be able to do that job of working at the front desk or whatever it is better than what I can do it because otherwise I'm going to have to do it myself. And I, my job at that point is to find somebody who can do it better than me. And uh, I guess it, 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 it did turn out that way. Um, I think, uh, you know, there was, there was training that was involved, but we, we could see very quickly, you know, as we did the training that, you know, it was going to work. And I realized... And I, I, I will say there were there were some times where I did feel, yeah, we're are we are we stretching ourselves a little bit? This guy is pretty young, 
um, you know, and um, I'm entrusting certain things to him, you know, completely. He was the only person there at night, right? Yeah. You were the only person there and we had to trust you be, to be able to do it. And I think I saw that trust, you know, the fact that you were trust you were trustworthy, and I could see uh, see that you know it it showed up. You know, when we asked you to do something, something got done about it, and you, and uh, so I think those those were the kinds of things that I that I that I looked for, um, and so that's why I felt I felt good about uh, you know going that direction, and uh, it certainly certainly paid off paid off well. Well, you know, I I should I will just say one little unique thing about you, and and that was a thing that intrigued me, and I loved it actually. Quite frankly, I think you called me one day, and you said, "I think I call you a lot more than anybody else does, don't I?" And I said, "Absolutely, right, you do." But I said, "You know, do you remember that?" Yes. And I said, "But you know what? As long as you don't call me about the same question twice." That's good for me because that means you're just learning more stuff. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember oh, okay. that. Okay. And and it was so true because that's what you did. You you always had these questions and you'd say, "Well, okay, what about this? Can I do that or whatever it is?" and we'd talk about it and then you'd go ahead you'd go ahead and do it and you'd make it make it happen. And I don't think I don't remember you calling me twice about the same question. So that's a good thing. Yes, good. I I remember <laughs> learning so much and it basically ruined me for my following employers oh. <laughs> for a while now. Um but now I'm at a place where I'm very happy. But one of the things I ended up struggling with was mm. not speaking my mind and not having mm. ideas on how we can do better and what we should do differently and how to approach things better. Other places were not as interested in, mm. in those conversations <laughs> as as I was. And so it was such an honor because I don't know if you remember, but you let me um, take a little bit of a stronghold on calling and when people would call for hotel prices, being able to negotiate them sure. when we were getting closer to maximum capacity. Once we were almost yep. sold out, I'd say, hey, Len, we're almost sold out. Should we start offering these and start being competitive with our pricing with other hotels yep. that are already sold out? We should take advantage of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge growing moment for me because it was a negotiation over the phone with someone where I'd lay out a price yep. and say, it's this much for tonight. And they would be like, oh, that's a little bit. And then I'd lower it a little. And that was an experience that I have not had since, but it was trust mm. from you that you said, okay, I'm going to let this person be in charge of the pricing of the hotel for tonight. And that's, those are the things I look back on and go, wow, Len trusted me with a lot and gave yeah. that to me. Well, you know, Aaron, and, and quite honestly, I, I enjoyed that with you because you were, you were so intrigued and interested in learning and, and being open to, uh, you know, uh, looking at those kinds of things. I remember that particularly, though, what, what you were referring to. In fact, I remember one night calling you. Do you remember that? You made again. But I remember one night calling you and, and saying, Aaron, how come this room is out of order? What's the matter? How come we're not going to fill it completely? And, you, and, and your comment was, oh, don't worry about it. I'm just waiting to get the best price out of that one. That's why it's, a, it's not out of order. I'm just making sure nobody else books it at a, at a lower price. I want to get the best price. And then a little while later, you called me and I forget what you got for it, but you said, here's what I got for the room. And I says, oh, good man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got something crazy, like $180 for like an antique room or something. Probably. probably. But, and like people who hear that might think, oh, like you're just overcharging people. But it's like, no, what I was trying to do was support the hotel. Yeah. And we offered prices that we're competitive with other places. That's right. But we lose money during other points of the year and mm -hmm. we need to make that money back in order for the hotel to succeed and grow. 
Absolutely. And, and, and that is, that is the, you know, that's not only the hotel industry works that way. The airline industry does. And guess what? If California, if, if all the tomatoes and, and lettuce freezes in California, what happens to the price here at your, at your grocery store? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it goes all over the place. That's the nature of, uh, of our, of our economy, right? Yeah, supply and, and demand. So, and, and, and it's not like you were being outlandish with it. Like it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, double the price or anything. Yeah, yeah, and and not in, not in line with what was uh, available in the market altogether. It was, uh, yeah, it was just good business. Yeah, and I just enjoyed that. And being <laughs> able to have those conversations of a business quality with somebody was my first interaction. And so I went on to do parking jobs and mm. stuff where I, I had similar approaches and they didn't fly because <laughs> there's certain ways other places like to do things. And so that was a growing moment mm. for me. But I also want to talk about your team because you had almost every person there was unique and you wanted mm. their uniqueness. For example, I was social media and I was really focused on trying to get all of our posts scheduled, getting tons of photos mm. and really showing off the hotel and taking advantage mm. of being able to do that. Laura brought history and stories mm. and different photos that I could post for social media. But then can we also talk about the housekeeper that was there because she took her job so seriously. Oh, she's still there. Leanne is still there. Awesome. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, you're you're absolutely right. Each person that was part of the team uh, brought their own unique kind of contribution, and that was the thing that I that really allowed us to flourish at uh, over uh, you know during that time, and and I think should be in any workplace really, because everybody does bring their own unique kinds of things. And so for Leanne, um, the, the, you know, our housekeeping supervisor, and she's still there and she just, she's just done an incredible job. You know, we said, we said the impeccable cleanliness is what we want to be. And, uh, you know, if we're not, if we're not impeccably clean, we're just an old hotel and that's what changed it. And, um, uh, yeah, it, when, um. When I when I decided I was going to move there, uh, you know, to from the Comfort Inn, move over to uh, the Royal Hotel, I knew that we needed to have somebody that would really lead our housekeeping team and, and establish standards and whatever. And uh, she had worked for me over at the Comfort Inn at some points, and uh, I knew what kind of work uh, she she did and the kind of person she was. And so I had a meeting with her, and I know that she had told me at one point. She said, "You know, I always want to run a bed and breakfast, except I don't want to do the breakfast part." And so I said to her, "Here, here's a chance. You can you can run it and run it for us, and you know make it happen for us. Uh, but you don't need to worry about the breakfast." So, <laughs> and so 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 she came and she joined the team and and has just brought that contribution. And during that time, you know, she did some extra training and took some courses and supervisory skills and all kinds of stuff like that to make sure. And of course, now she's had to adjust to the team to you know the housekeeping team altogether to to. Um, uh, you know, meeting meeting the standards of COVID because there's things that have changed there. Yeah. Yeah. She is so unique because you did bring on other housekeeping people mm -hmm. for her to lead, but they were people from the community who might not have opportunities otherwise. Could we talk a little bit about that? Because I think that that's part of the cornerstone of being of why you should be here, why you belong here oh. is because you always, with everything in that hotel, you were always about trying to make it a com community environment and building that into the structure. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us work, we work with people we like to work with. And uh, uh, more people quit their jobs because they don't like the people they work with than because they don't like the job itself. 
And, and so I think, you know, making sure that you're, that you are human, that you, that you are who you are in the environment where you work in the place that you work, that you, you bring your values, you bring your, your caring, your, your ways of working with other people. And you, you know, the reasons for doing that, and you bring that, bring that to your workplace, not, not in the sense that you, you know, push people, people, things on certain people, but you, you, well, you, you care for, you care for people because uh, they're more important than, than the business in the end anyway. You know, in the end, you're going to leave the business at some point or the place and you want to care, you want to make sure that the relationships and the caring about people and call it love, whatever you want to call it. But those things are, those things are more vital and they're more critical in life anyway. Eventually, you're not going to need to work anymore and you're still going to want your family around you, right? Th that's the kind of uh, scenario I think we have to make sure we have those kinds of values. And so when you're working together, it's good to create that community, that sense of feeling that you support each other and that you work together. That doesn't mean that there aren't rough spots and there will be rough times or whatever it is. Uh, but, um, you know, I think um, one of the things that I, another thing that I realized uh, some years ago, uh, at one point I was uh, uh, doing employment counseling and, uh, you know, you, you tend to be a bit of a counselor, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, you've done, you've maybe worked in that kind of capacity as well. But I realized at one point that I was, I was probably a better manager who cared about people than I was a counselor who should also manage the counseling business. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so at some point, then I just decided that, you know what, I might as well go leave that. And that's, that's when I landed up at the Comfort Inn in 95 or whatever it was. But, but you know, just, just to realize that where, where you're working, the people you work with and, and, and the people that are part of your business, you know, the customers as well for that matter. But it's much more about caring about people. And, and when you do care about them, people perform well because they want to work there, right? They, they want to do their job. Most people want to do their job well. Yeah. And so it's a question of providing them with the support and the caring and, and making sure that they know, they know that they're, they're appreciated and valued. Yeah. That so. is, that is such a unique thing about you again, which is, I hear a lot of people talk about how, um, people say people are stupid and common sense isn't that common and all of these negative things to kind of summarize humanity. Yeah. And I haven't enjoyed that. And one unique thing about you is you've worked with people your whole career in a very frontline way where you are talking to people, you are talking to customers, you would cover the desk if no one was else available and mm -hmm. you would do that job exceptionally. You would take it seriously. You would try and connect with the person. You try and build a connection with them, even if it was for a moment. What, what made you so interested in doing that? What brought you to that place where... You've been doing it. I, when I met you, you were just as passionate about talking to customers as I'm sure you were in the very beginning. What, what is it about you that makes you see people with such value? Hmm. Well, that's a big question. <laughs> there, there's a lot of, a lot of angles to that, but let me, let me just give you a little story and then I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But just, just the other day, there was a, uh, just recently, there was a, uh, uh, a gentleman that had stayed at the hotel for a period of time, and uh, and um, there was one annoying little thing uh, that it, that had occurred, and basically um, they smoked in the room, and that's that's a no no in the in our hotel. And uh, we knew it had happened. We talked to him about it, and he'd kind of denied it and said it wasn't happening or whatever it was. And in the long run, I know that it 
we know that it was. And so when he when he left, that meant that he wasn't getting his damage deposit back. And initially he replied, uh, it was by email that, uh, that he had replied and, and he tore a strip off me and called me all kinds of things, whatever it was. And my response to him, uh, I pondered my response. I was disturbed by it, by it, but I pondered my response. And I'm not trying to make myself look good here. But all I'm saying is I, I, I kind of disseminated it and said, you know what? Basically, I want to wish him well because he's going to move on anyway. And he's not a bad guy. It's just that he just walked in the room and we didn't want that, you know. And uh, so I replied with a kind of a, just a very generic, uh, a generic, but, a you know, wishing him well kind of response and just said, you know, that that's what it was. He came back to me, or I met him as he was leaving, actually, and he apologized. And, and he said he apologized for his, for his comments and for his attitude and whatever, and, and we left as friends, basically. And to me, that's just so, that's just so valuable. And I think what it comes down to is, is the fact that, and I you know, get a little, you know, goes back into who I am here, I guess, in a sense. But for me, for me, uh, my... Um, I've grown up with a with an understanding of of uh, of a creator of God, somebody that cares and has cared about me. And I'm not trying to push religion here; that's not what it is. But I'm just saying that's that's part of who I am, and and I've been I've been so valued um, by by somebody else and by by God, and I, I He values everybody the same way, and I can't do anything else but value other people the same way as well. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what it boils down to. If if that's the kind of caring that's been shown to me, I have no choice but to do the same for others. No, and I hate saying it that way in a sense because I know that some people are probably going to say, "Well, I don't always see you doing that," and that's probably true. But but that's what it boils down to. There's there's something really deep and foundational about that that says that's where I live. That's where I, that's where I work with a with a faith faith in a God that cares and has has loved me and has loved the world and the world that He's created. And everybody in it, and I mean everybody in it, and that does—that even means if it's somebody that's sitting in the back of a hotel and doing, you know, getting their drug stuff ready. And so, how I respond to that person at that point, very much is a question of how I've been responded to, you know, as as the imperfect perfect person that I am as well. Yeah. And so, I I have a responsibility, you know, at that point to be very caring and respectful of who that person is because they're created in the, the image of the same God that I am. Yeah, I I love that so much because so, um, as people have known who if they've been keeping up, I've been struggling with that that same topic hmm. of of who are we, where are we, what's going on, and how did we get here? And I've thought a lot about it and i think my ideas are still growing and mm. as they should i'm not very mm -hmm. old and so that should grow but one thing i wanted to just jump on was that that was part of what you brought to that hotel the entire time we would one problem that we would run into is that we have a little foyer in the royal hotel where there was a bench and people homeless people would come in and they would just lay down on the bench mm. and that always put staff in an awkward position yeah. of we would go in, we would say, please leave. And they would say no, or they would just roll over. They would ignore. And your approach and the approach you instilled in staff was always to treat them well and try and help and just ask them to leave politely. And if there was an issue to call Griffin or to call mm -hmm. somebody else to, to have them removed, but it was never from a negative response. And you would often be the person to go out and do it yourself. You wouldn't send 
somebody else mm. to do that and you would have such a positive approach what what has that been like to operate because the comfort inn is on the freeway it's very far from mm. any homeless camps or any vulnerable people where the royal hotel is in the heart of downtown in a community that has been struggling for a really long time that does have vulnerable individuals who end up coming inside and just trying to warm up what has that been like yeah it, you know actually it's um I, I would say overall, I, I would say for me, it w- it's been a good experience to do that. Um, not uh, because um, I think it's not it's not that I didn't know that that was part of our community beforehand, but to see it a little more firsthand and to you know be walking alongside it, so to speak, a little bit more uh, firsthand, um, that was that was a very that was very good very good for me. It it was tough at times. Because, uh, as you know, you may remember, I also sat on the BIA board for a period of time. Um, and, of course, the BIA was, was dealing with how do we deal with these tough issues, right? Because it's tough for businesses when, when um, you're trying to, you know, operate your business, even ours as a hotel. And you've got this other, this, this other part, of, part of the downtown that's, that's around you. And so it's, it's, it's really tough to, you know, how do you make those decisions? You know, how do you manipulate or how do you manipulate? How do you, how do you set priorities for Griffin or the, insur- the, uh, the security companies, right? How should they move people on or not? Or what should they be doing, you know? And yet you can't have needles lying around in front of your business on the, on the ground. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? So it's, it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough issue. So. Be, for me, that I think being downtown um, probably helped me grow or to learn a little bit more about it. And you said you know, you're a young guy, still growing. I hope I grow up someday and have, have know everything. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but but you know you keep learning through life, right? The, the the kinds of things you learn may change a little bit, but you keep learning. But um, yeah, I, I guess the thing that I that I often. It was uh, part of my my well, I'll say my prayer my prayer you know my 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 concern was always to make sure that I that I treat the people that I that I come across with 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 real genuine respect and and understand them as as people as opposed to a problem you know if that makes sense and I and I sometimes it's been really difficult. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we would get people hanging around the back of the building. Well, I can't have that happening. It's private property. I can't have that happening. So how do you move people away from that, you know? And, uh, you know, at what point do you call Griffin? At what point do you go and speak to somebody and just sort of speak to them and respectfully engage in a conversation? And there's times when I think I've, I've messed up. I didn't do it as well as I should have, you know? I know I had one guy a while back, and I, I, I really I realized later that you know what I should have. Re- Here's what I really should have done. I should have handled it a little bit differently. And sometimes it's in retrospect that you get that, and hopefully, you uh, you don't uh, do that too often, right? You learn from it, right? Yeah, and it's that humility of coming back and saying that you can do it better next time, yeah, and that there probably is going to be a next time. There will be, and yeah. I think that that's so good to be able to have you on who's had to deal with those frontline issues. Because we're at a very awkward state right now, I think, where we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do with them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But businesses in these circumstances don't get Mm -hmm. a cheat sheet on how to ask somebody to leave Mm -hmm. in a polite and friendly way that actually works. And so 
it is something that we were grappling with and trying to work together on and even having guests stay there that might not have been bringing the right element that we were looking Mm. to share or people who got way too drunk and started causing shenanigans in the hotel. Those were issues that I'd have to deal with. But it was never to instigate something. And I'm not Griffin Security going up the stairs to kick him out. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Is everyone safe? And trying to mediate between these different ideas. And that was another opportunity that I had when working there was to realize, you said, there are going to be people who make decisions we don't agree with in this hotel. Mm -hmm. We have to walk that boundary. We have to figure out exactly how to approach them. So it was a huge moral growth Mm -hmm. of what role am I in? I'm not Griffin Security. I'm not a police officer. I'm here. I'm just here to help and to try and resolve any client issues. Yeah. And so what has that been like having that throughout the hotel and always some different person from some different walk of life yeah. to deal with. Well, my 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 approach, um, uh, you know, again from from the business perspective, and I think uh, we may have well have talked about it, is that is that um, well, and, and I think if you look at the uh, uh, what's it, uh, the lodging uh, 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 legislation or whatever it is, essentially you're not in a position where you can refuse somebody to stay at your hotel. Like just because I don't like the color of your hair or, or uh, you know, the way you're doing something, I, I, I'm not in a position to refuse you accommodation on that. If you're, if you're violating, if you're doing, if you're damaging the hotel or you're, you know, disrupting everybody else or whatever it is, then I have the right as, a, as the, uh, you know, as the operator to, to have you removed. But I, I think, and I may have said that to you, uh, my, are as much as, as much as I may disagree with somebody's behavior, in other words, moral behavior, morally I may disagree with them or whatever it is, I'm, I'm not as an operator of the business at that point in a position to, um, you know, like that's not my job is to, is to change their moral behavior. That, that's not my job at that point. That's, and that's not the responsibility that you as an employee have. You do have a responsibility to look after the safety of your of, of that guest and of, of all the other guests, and uh, and obviously whatever legal things that are there. I mean, if somebody's you know a silly example, but if somebody was there abusing children, obviously you have a responsibility to report that, right? As you would anything at any other situation. But in terms of whether the person is is doing something in the room, which um, you personally would think that's an awful thing to be doing, and it's morally wrong or whatever it is, at that point, that's not that's that's not your legal res- or your your business responsibility at that point. If it's something which is legally wrong, then that, that's a different matter. Then you may have an obligation to do that. So that's a that's a bit of a challenge how do you how do you walk that line at the same time knowing what your own personal values and and uh, you know things are that you that you that you hold dear and and are important to you and you know are better for life right yeah and so it's 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 always a tough it's a tough thing and i i guess if 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 that if if that was a learning part of for you as well and it's still a learning one for me i, I don't think it's an easy one but uh, well i have to give you a lot of credit because when i worked there I don't think we ever discussed religion at any point in time. Mm. And that's obviously a relationship you have in your life. And that never came up. But these conversations were. And you clearly did draw a very good distinction between your personal moral values and that we can put on other people. And Mm -hmm. I've seen and heard of a lot of other businesses that won't serve 
homeless people that don't like them that will try and get them to leave if they can. I've heard the stories. I've seen things happen. And so that's such a unique thing about you where you do draw those distinctions and those lines and say, and you even communicated that to me as much as we morally may disagree that's not our role mm-hmm. here. And being able to draw those lines is so important. I think that some of the most important people in our community are very good at it. I've seen Crown a lot mm-hmm. draw those moral distinctions of, do I agree with theft? Absolutely not. But under these circumstances, this is how we're going to proceed to mm-hmm. try and help the person not have to steal again and mm-hmm. be able to decipher good ideas from it. And I, I think that you brought that a lot and I learned a lot from those experiences. Mm. What has it been like working with other businesses in the hotel side of things and working with and trying to articulate other businesses people should visit when they're staying at the hotel? Well, I guess I would, I would, uh, I would say, and I think this is what we tried to do as a, as a staff. And I think you probably did as well, but you, what, what I often looked at was, uh, okay, what is this person? Why are they here? You know, why are they here in town? And I guess uh, the thing, you know, are they here on pleasure? Are they here because they're vacationing or whatever it is? And and typically for most people when they're staying at a hotel, there, there's some free time on their hands. I mean, they may be wor- – in some cases they're working and that's all that they're doing, right? But it's kind of uh, building a rapport and a relationship with the people that you're working with. You're working with. Uh, or that you're that are coming in and and understanding what it is that they're about why are they there and you know it's not not a matter of prying into their personal life but just sort of finding out what is it what is it they're interested in you know i think of the number of times when uh, somebody would uh, come in and you know we were just talking and uh, and and out of that they you know you realize they had some extra time or whatever it was and so you'd ask them well, you know like well what do you, what do you like doing and and uh, so somebody would say well you know we do some gardening or something like that. Oh, what did you, you know, if you want to see a really unique garden center and uh, go to, go to, you know, Minter Country Garden, because, um, you know, you're going to find almost, and then you would say, well, you know, are you interested in gardening or whatever? And then they would start saying some things about that and say, well, okay, well, why don't you head over there? Because you're going to find, you'll spend all afternoon there if you've got time, you know, if you've got the time, right? And, and they do, and they come back later and they say, oh, that was just great, you know? Or the next person is, uh, you know, kind of, oh, just going for a walk and just seeing stuff. Well, well uh, uh, birds, um, birds and stuff. And so you send them to the, to the, um, uh, you know, Blue Heron Reserve, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so there's lots of those kinds of things. So that's, that's kind of the way, uh, that's kind of the way uh, I would approach a lot of that is, is, uh, you know, and that's what we would encourage people to do, you know. And so you've got somebody that comes in and they want to, you know, it's, it's their anniversary. Well, where would you want, well, you want, you want a good meal? Go over to Bravo's, you know, yeah. uh, or something like that, you know, I mean, Bravo's is an excellent place, right? Uh, yeah. You can't get a, probably the nicest place in town at, at this point, Absolutely. Uh, you know, but very good, very good place. And there's other places. And of course, if that's not your, your kind of liking, you want to do something a little bit different than, uh, you know, some of the other places, right? Whether it's Botsini's or, or Greek islands or who knows where, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think it, it's that checking with, checking, checking with guests. And uh, that's what I, and I've always enjoyed doing that, you know, like it, getting that little bit of information. It just helps you when you ask those kinds of questions. And I think you learned how to do that as well. You learned, you'd ask those kinds of questions, just find out what are they doing here in town? And, oh, we're just visiting a bunch of friends or something like that. Or or somebody else is, uh, you know, looking for something really, you know, more adventurous to do. Well, 
you know, have you tried better, you know, hiking? You want to do some hiking, whether it's Better Mountain or Mount Chiam, which you haven't climbed yet, right? But, yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, it's those kinds of things. And uh, the other one, the other one that actually is an intriguing one is, um, is, is the people that, that come with, the, with First Nations interests. You know, especially when we'd have the Europeans coming, you know, from, uh, from Germany or wherever it is. And, and they would be just fascinated with that. And, of course, it deservingly fascinating. Uh, some of that history is just very fascinating. So, and, and uh, so even just at some point sending them over to the, you know, the cultural heritage site, you know, over at… Uh, Stolo, yeah. 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 And, uh, and, of course, and then there's the one in Mission as well, the uh, Satum. Right. Yeah, the site there. But anyway, you know, there's all those kinds of things there, which are, you know, just neat things about about our community. And so. Well, let's talk yeah. a little bit since we're on the topic of your favorite small businesses and ones that you enjoy. I know if you asked my wife as to where the best place to go and eat for anniversary would be Greek Islands. She loves it. Yeah. And that and is good. on Hawking. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And they're, they're very good. They're, yeah, they're very What's good. your favorite thing to get there? Oh, you know, actually sitting around uh, with six people and ordering their platter of, uh, you know, their their, you know, their platter for six or whatever it is. That's that's the great. That's the best one. Oh, awesome! Oh, oh that's great. I and love then it. Al's Supply House. Yeah, you know, a uh, uh, unique little place. If you've ever, if you've ever, if you're if you're into, um, and I do a little bit of that because I've got an old car that I'm trying to fix up. And uh, so, if you need you need ideas or or tools, uh, you know, unique little tools or whatever it is, uh, go to go see the guys in L Supply Hose. He's the 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 guys in there. You know, you run into a problem with the welding, especially if you're a do-it-yourselfer kind of guy. And and they they they'll take the time. And he's got an interesting kind of response to a lot of stuff. But he's but it's really good. And and the unique sort of stuff that you can find in there, good good place. Yeah, I, I like it. You know, there's there's advantages. It, or there's 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 something nice about the bigger places like the KMS Tools and those kinds of places as well. But but Els uh, is a good guy. Yeah, and you're a do-it-yourself type of person, right? I love it. Yeah. Yeah, too much sometimes, probably according to some people. But what are some of the things that you've done it yourself <laughs> and enjoyed? Oh, oh well, over the years, you know, when our kids, uh, we have I have three daughters, right? And uh, um, well, I'll just say first of all, my my wife and I decided uh, when we were. Uh, you know, having kids and whatever that uh, we we wanted to raise our own kids. In other words, we didn't we. So so that meant certain things in terms of salary and earnings and stuff like that. And uh, so that we we she did work. She certainly worked from time to time, but but not where it was a career in the same sense that uh, that you know where you've got a family with two people both working in careers. Anyway, uh, so as a result of that, our our. Um, our income levels were based primarily on one with some additional, right? And so when our kids got to the point where we needed a second vehicle because our kids were starting to drive, then uh, the deal was that I would, um, uh, we would, uh, I would buy them a car as long as they paid for the gas and the insurance and I would keep it running for them. So I, that's my do-it-yourself kind of stuff, right? Uh, so I've done everything from pulling the engine apart and rebuilding it to... Uh, to uh, you know, doing other kinds of repairs on that kind of thing, and so they 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 managed all through those years until they finally said, "Dad, that's enough. We'll go buy ourselves a new car now." And so they've done that, you know. But yeah. 
but uh, that that took them through high school, uh, through high school or college years or whatever the schooling they were going through for their early years, and yeah. so we were able to do that. But that was fun. I enjoy that kind of stuff and fixing up around the house too. Yeah, yeah, we've done. I've done some inside, uh, you know, uh, renovating and that kind of stuff. We did that kind of stuff too. That's such an interesting topic, and that's what I wanted to get into was your family dynamic and the work you've put into your family because I think that that is a part of the podcast I've really wanted to focus on and build up is that it starts from home. It doesn't start mm. in the career, and I think a lot of people have maybe – maybe I've done a bad job of communicating this, but – where I want to start is the home and careers are great and working at a hotel and the impact you made there is monumental, but you've also created three people who are now going to carry on your legacy and carry on some of your mindsets and some of your approaches. And that is an area I really want to get into with you because one thing that I experienced at the hotel was that you were in an amazing relationship. And I felt that because your wife would come in, she would check in with me, see how I'm mm. doing. And then she'd check in on you by saying, how's he doing up there? And it's like, <laughs> he's doing good. He's working hard. He's he's focused. He's grinding upstairs. And that connection where she'd be bringing you dinner or she'd just be checking in mm. or she'd be driving someone from somewhere and just checking in on you. Those are such amazing things. And for my generation, I hear way too much of cheating, Tinder, um, I know we've had some guests on who've done well on Tinder and found their soulmates and that's great, mm -hmm. but I'm talking about the people who have a ba bad mindset when it comes to love and commitment. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Well, um, you know, I think, and I, I guess I, I don't mind speaking about it, uh, and I, and I will, but, uh, I just want to say that I do it with, with all humility because, um. There's, there's much that contributes to, well, we've been married 45 years uh, in, back in June, our anniversary, and, and uh, there's much that's contributed and spoken into our life in various ways over the years. Everything from, uh, from our, well, even at this point, our children and our grandchildren, but our, but our friends, our church, our relationship with our people at church, our friends and people like that. They've all spoken into our life, uh, into our life and our relationship at various times, and uh, you know, to we, we could have never done it on our own. I, I guess that's the way I would put it. And as much as it, it, it is uh, Marilyn and I that have been married for forty-five years, but if it hadn't been for the people around us that have that have been there to support us and to encourage us at times and to walk with us at times when when it's been crap, you know, when things have been really rough. And they have, there have been rough times. And, and uh, if it hadn't been for those people and for the fact that, you know, I think Marilyn's commitment has been to, to our relationship just as much as what mine has been. It's, it's, been, it's, it's been a very mutual thing. And so if it hadn't been for that, um, we, would, we wouldn't be where we are today. We, you know, it's 45 years. Um, I met her. Um, I was actually working for her dad. I worked for him for two years as a volunteer, in fact, with the Mennonite Central Committee or MCC. Yeah. And I was uh, doing a volunteer uh, thing at a group home, basically a rural group home that her dad was had just started running. And I was the first volunteer that worked there. He had ran the place for a number of years, but I worked for him for two years. And, and of course, I had met her older sister. And uh, when the first time I met, uh, came into the home, I, I knew the, old, the older sister. And she was a very, very fine, uh, very fine sister. 
but I, and then I saw there was a younger sister and, and I knew those two were there. And then when, when I came into the home the first time, because he brought me into his home, because he knew I was a little lonely at that point. And so he brought me into his home and, and I realized, oh, there's another sister there. And, and so kind of, I thought, hmm, well, anyway, it, it grew into a friendship really to begin with. And uh, we, uh, we became, uh, I think we both had, we're in other relationships at the time. Um, but um, those kind of fell away at some point and, and there was a friendship that grew there and long before there was any consideration of anything else, that there was there was a friendship there that existed. And I would say that's probably been the basis of it. And there was shared, there was shared faith, there was shared, you know, a lot of other things like that that were shared. We, there was similar in our upbringing, although there were differences. She, she grew up in the city, I grew up in Yarrow, so, you know, rural kind of country kid in a very narrow kind of community, right, which Yarrow was at the time when I grew up. Uh, narrow, I would say almost narrow-minded in some, in, because of the church life was very much part of what we grew up with. But uh, she had grown up in a very different environment, and yet we brought those two things together and just enjoyed friendship. And then there was a time which, which I guess we decided more. You know, and, and I remember, um, again, speaking, thinking about, you know, people that speak into your life or contribute to you to, to, for the relationship. Um, at, our, at our wedding, her dad brought her down, down the aisle and... Uh, and uh, one of the things, the thing that he said, and it's it stayed with me. In fact, I've well, what he what he said was, um, Len, because Marilyn's chosen you, we also choose you to be part of that family. And to me, that was just an incredibly powerful statement, uh, because because marriage and a commitment uh, and and. And the, that marriage covenant and whatever, it's a covenant and it's a marriage a commitment to each other. Uh, that's very much a choice. It's a, it's a choice to do that. It, it doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's not magic in that sense. It, it's a choice that you make to, to, to commit yourself and to covenant with each other and to say, and the covenant kind of perspective, and I'm getting a little technical here, but, but the uh, covenant, and I'm using a, I guess uh, 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 probably I would say a Hebrew Jewish kind of understanding of the word covenant. A covenant basically is is that um, my my decision to love you as my wife is isn't based on you loving me. It's simply that's my choice. That's my choice. That's my covenant with you that I will love you regardless. And and her response is the same thing. So it's not. So it, it's it's not a contract. Yeah. It's not if you do this, then I'll do this. Yeah. It's it's simply that's who that's that's my my decision. That's my covenant with you. That's my choice. And that's my decision, and uh, and that's the direction I'm going to go. And so that's why then you can say through, you know, through sickness and health or whatever, however you want to uh, say those things. And we didn't say them exactly that way. We, we had our own way. We wrote our own vows basically is what it is. There were certain requirements that uh, we had to include, but beyond that, uh, we wrote our own. And, and, uh, and so that's been, that's been the basis of, of, of our, of our, of our relationship. And then we've gone through some tough times. There's, there's times where things haven't necessarily always gone well. There's no question about that. But on the on the other hand, um, that that's that's been the choice. So I remember, um, I think it was uh, you remember the preacher Billy Graham. You probably don't remember him, but you remember the name. 
Uh, oh, okay. He was an evangelist many years ago, and he did these great big things, you know, t- talk to 50,000 people in Los Angeles or wherever it was, all over the world. And, but he traveled all over the world, and his wife one day was asked, uh, or this was in their later years, uh, he just passed away. He was almost 100 or just 100. But anyway, his wife one day asked, was asked, you know, well, with, with your husband gone so much, you know, like, did you ever consider divorce? And she said, no, murder, yes, but never divorce. <laughs> so, but... But it was, but it's that kind of that's kind of thing where where there's a there's there's a choice and and so and I understand that things change that not everybody's the same but but I think that's the that was that was the basis that's the, the commitment for us so we've had three three kids we've kind of tried to instill some of what we value there so with each of our our three girls are all our daughters are all married at this point and. Um, and, you know, over the last number of years, some fifteen years, because they're, but anyway, they're they're we we did the same thing we, when uh, I did the same thing when I you know it was it was a choice we've 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 chosen those guys to be part of our family as well and our daughters chosen we've chosen as well and so they're part of the family. Can you go a so, little bit more into the the choosing part because I I do understand what you're saying, but for listeners, what does that choice mean for you when your daughter? chooses to marry a person what is that commitment to you when you say you choose them and what that meant to you when Marilyn's father said that yeah. to you what is what is that how does that manifest itself you know I think uh, I think I, I would say I would say it this way you know there's there's um, there's uh, there's times in in your friendships or in your relationships where you 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 kind of um, you're you're with someone and 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 you sort of realize oh i don't like that that part about that person that much and so you kind of say well okay you know and eventually you sort of drift apart and you don't become you're not necessarily good friends with your with your in your, in your i would say with in a relationship with your sibling um you know if you've got a brother or a sister or a sibling or whatever or whatever at least this is the way i would put it okay with with my I come from a family of eight kids, right? So there was, uh, there's, there's more than just me, and and but with my, I, I remember somebody once uh, talking to me and saying, "Oh, your sister, she's really good looking, or whatever." And I looked at her later and I thought, "Oh, I don't know, she's my sister, right?" And so the imperfections or uh, that might have been there or were not there really didn't mean much to me because she was my sister my commitment my choice or my commitment or in that relationship with her was was uh, not changing because uh, because she was my sister right and i think when i when i coming back to the question about what does it mean to choose that's kind of what it what it, it did you know in this case it wasn't he wasn't born into my family. My son-in-law wasn't. My son-in-law, sons-in-law, haven't been born into my family. But at the point at which I said, "Okay, my my daughter has chosen you to be her partner, and and I'm choosing you as well." Basically, you're you're coming into my family, and and I'm the the choices that you are now part of it the same way. And so your imperfections, or your you know whether you're good looking or not, or whether you're whatever it is. Um, those, those are no longer a part of what I'm going to choose or what I'm going to use to say whether I'm going to have, um, uh, my relationship with you is going to continue or not. Yeah. I'm committed to you. 
I think we need and way so, more of that because I do see a lot of people having exactly what you're saying where they're like, oh, I don't like how this person doesn't do their laundry and stuff. And it's like, well, you can work together with the person to address those issues, but that should not be an issue you're bringing up as to mm-hmm. whether or not you should be with another person. And that's how I approached it with my partner, which was, um, hey, you have some family that's not so great. I've had struggles with family. Obviously, I don't even know who my dad is. So I know what it's like to be left. But I'm not going to operate like that with my uncle, with my mother, with my close family. I don't think about whether or not I'm going to choose them Mm. or not. You don't think about, oh, this person talked to me this way. Maybe I just won't be their family member anymore. You don't run through that scenario. You kind of go, well, they messed up, but I messed up too. Let's try and find a way to to come back together. And that's what it sounds like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are the things I want to be able to talk about because that's so important. And that is such a nuanced way of looking at relationships, which is some of you choose your work relationships, whether or not you talk to the person every day or not, that's a choice. But when it comes to these fundamental people that you have in your life that you're saying i'm going to be there for you in the tough times when you're stuck on the side of the road at two in the morning and you call me i'm going to be there it's not a choice it's not Mm -hmm. something i'm going to reconsider and be like well i don't really like you that much so i'm going to roll back over and go back to sleep it's like i've agreed to have you in my life and i'm going to do Mm -hmm. what that means and so what has that been like what is it has that is that a meaningful way to live your life in in your opinion yeah i would say it is i i Again, I'm I'm going to I'm going to relate that to my to my faith in the sense that I I guess I see that there is no other there is no other way to do it but that, and again for me that comes down to a real question of faith in in the in in the God in the Creator who is there who cares, and who's cared so much for me, that um, and that's His commitment to me, right? Regardless of of, of how badly I screw up or not. He, he, he's never he's never leaving me. He's he's never gone. He's always there. He's always there. And I may be you know I may have turned around and and not figured out where he's at, but but he's never he's never left and he's never gone. And so that's at the root of that uh, for for me. And I guess that's the re- that's the reason why I say yeah. I think uh, I think that I think it's very important. And and I guess I'm called to emulate and to do the same thing. Yeah, that is amazing. You know, just a funny little story about that, though, because it has its funny little instances about that. One of one of our, how much should a person say about your family? But at one point, there was a comment. That, uh, there was somebody that called and said, "Dad, I'm so frustrated. I want to come home." And I said, "No, you're not." <laughs> and you kept them there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I won't describe more of the situation, but it, but it has those funny kinds of things as well, because basically it was a statement, and 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 the you know the, the person on the other end understood, or the daughter on the other end understood what I what we were talking about, right? But but uh, but it it's it's one of those where well no no just a minute that's a decision you've made now we move now we move on and 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 and, and again I mean that. That's a, that's a difficult thing to to say, and I know there's good there. You know, there could be people that misinterpret, misunderstand, mis- misunderstand that. It, you know, like if it's a situation where there's nasty physical abuse, like what are, what are we talking about? Well, that that's not the situation I was referring to, right? In the story I was telling you, um, so those situations need to be addressed as well. I mean, those aren't right, right? Absolutely. So uh, and and so I'm 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 not trying to say that. Um, you know, somebody in in that kind of a situation that I have all the answers and that what I what I've just said solves all of that for that. I 
I, I, that's I don't think where it is. Yeah. And that's that's the interesting, what's, what's the word, paradox about these things, right? Yeah. That's the interesting paradox because there is there is this this uh, this commitment that says uh, it's it's come hell or high water you know come uh, for good or for bad you know whatever and yet there's there's this other side which which is which is destruct can be destructive and all kinds of things and and so how do you how do you deal with that you yeah know? it's like eighty percent of the time it's probably going to be something where they can resolve it themselves but twenty mm-hmm. percent of the time it can end up being something severe and serious where involvement yeah. is required yeah yeah I definitely yeah. have. Yeah. A friend who's kind of in a similar circumstance, um, being in a relationship, and then they kind of broke up. But then the families encouraged them to try and see each other's perspectives and look at the long game of, of course, you're going to disagree. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to misunderstand and be just right at the end of what you're capable of carrying. But it's about trying to get through it. And it's about having that long term mindset. And I think that that's something that adults real grown adults understand and for mm-hmm. for most of them they understand that yeah that you're sick of them leaving hair in the in the shower yes of course you are but think of the long game don't focus on these short frustrations mm-hmm. because there are always going to be short frustrations and that's so interesting that you're able to see that as well and work through those things and i wish more people had that mindset because i know guys who get into relationships and they put in a lot of good work the first three months and then it's like well now we're together now i don't have to do that anymore yeah and that is wild can you talk a bit about that about that Mm. idea that at some point in time you're done and you just get to relax and and watch tv yeah i don't think that ever that ever happens i mean it doesn't mean that uh you know yeah I don't. I don't know how exactly to respond to that. Other than that, the fact of the matter is that a relationship is ongoing. I mean, you know, we've been again, we've been married forty-five years, and I'm sure you can find many other people married forty-five and fifty years, and they're saying, "Oh, I'm learning all kinds of new things about my my partner at this point that I never knew before." You know, and uh, is it because she's got that much smarter, or is it just that I finally opened my eyes to something? You know, and I think that's that's really what it is, and that's any relationship, right? A relationship. And and it's 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 never, I guess it's never really done, right? A good friend of mine said, uh, you know, I retired so that I could so that I could get to know my wife better. Yeah, that's an amazing <laughs> outlook. You don't hear that very often. No, no. Uh, but uh, you know, but there's a, there's a truth to that, right? Because over so many years, you're both you're you're working, or both, or if it's only one of you, but you're working and you're doing you know you're doing your thing, and then. And then at some point you realize that you know what we've had, we've shared all these years together, but uh, there's a lot of things we don't know about you, about each other, and uh, we got into it probably because we really were interested in each other and you know enjoying a lot of things with each other, and now we've sort of let some of that slide. So how do we get back to it? You know, so absolutely, I think that yeah. that's a really good example of the two sides pulling on each other is the idea that children come first in a relationship mm-hmm. or they don't come first where it's like it's kind of in the middle where your relationship is still incredibly important when you have children. You always created the children together mm-hmm. for some reason and so hopefully you love them. But the idea that the relationship is obviously going to outlast with each other, the children are going to one day move out, leave, find their own partners and live their yeah. own life. And some people don't realize that when they're in 
the toddler phases is that they invest everything into the kid and nothing into their partner. And then yeah. five years in, they're like, well, I don't like my partner anymore. I should leave. And it's like, but you guys were supposed to be doing two things at once, raising the children mm -hmm. and being a team. And some people forget about that. What was your experience with that? Where you do run into like, obviously children come first in their health and their safety and their warmth, but you also want to maintain and keep a romantic relationship with the person you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we, no, I think at, at some points there's, there's no question that, you know, especially when the kids are younger or whatever, it pulls you in all kinds of directions. I think, I think one of the things, um, we, we always tried to do, uh, was, um, we, we always tried to make sure that even, even our, our, our working with our kids was, uh, that we were both involved with it. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I would certainly, you know, as an example, for example, I would say certainly, I think, uh, Marilyn, clean, uh, you know, changed more diapers than what I did when the kids were young. On, on the other hand, um, I think, I think I did a fair number, you know, I did, I, I did my share. In fact, I tell my kids now when they want me to change the diapers on the grandkids, not until you've caught up and with as many as I've done, <laughs> you know, but, but I think, you know, and, and, and as much as there were. You know, because because I was working out of the home differently than what she was, and so um, it, a lot of the time, not all the time, there were times when she did as well. Um, but but um, just the way we we had our 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 home and our income and that sort of stuff. Um, but but I I I think. We, we never kind of looked at it that, you know, I mean, those things are all your job and and, and mine is just the, the other stuff. And uh, I I think we, we certainly tried not to do that. Um, you know, you probably have to ask her that question in a sense and see what she says about that. <laughs> um, at the same time, we did do some things together at times where it was just us as well. And, uh, you know, there were, you know, well, I guess our, our two oldest kids were were quite young. In fact, I think uh, well, the youngest one might have just been a year or two. And uh, at one point, I was uh, I had gone to a, a leadership training course in Florida uh, with a camping association that I was that we were you know working with at that point. And uh, she flew down there at the end of that week, and uh, we spent four or five days in Florida together, just the two of us, and we left. I mean, my parents were around and they were great grandparents to have, and they looked after our two young girls at that time. We just had two at that point. And, uh, you know, so we did those kinds of things, right? Um, I think at times we might have done more, could have, maybe should have done more, but even the small things that you do, whether that's going for a walk or just out for dinner at some points or whatever. And I think, you know, it's just a matter of nurturing some of that, um, um, but I think part of it too is just just making sure you view that you know your your rate your your kids for example are that's a team effort. You should be doing that together, and so that's an important part of that. It is interesting though that you know uh, I mean lived how many years now without without our kids in the home, right? And so uh, it's a number of years, and so yeah, there's some there's some new growing that happens at that point as well. You yeah. Know? I'm so that's okay. I'm so curious yeah. about th that aspect because a lot of people do get caught up in the idea that it's about the trip to Paris. It's about the trip to wherever it is, New Zealand, wherever you want to go. That that is 
that is the moment that you're going to be romantic. That's the moment you're going mm. to treat the person right. And you see it. You see people thinking that that is where they need to be. But it does come down to they made you the cup of coffee. They made your lunch. They they said hello to you. How was your day? They listened to some, whatever happened at work and they didn't rush you through it or try and get to the end of the conversation, turn on the TV, ignore what you had to say. It's about having those conversations and those are what over time build up to be the whole relationship. How you walk in the door, maybe be 15 seconds, but it's 15 seconds, five days a week for three, like for a whole year, every year for however long you've worked. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a huge part of your relationship. What is, what are those core components been like the making the breakfast, the lunches, the saying hello to each other after your long day at work? <clears throat> what has that been like? And what can people learn from that? I don't know. She, uh, you know, it's funny because when we first got married, uh, we were we were in Edmonton, and uh, uh, I was working and she was working, and uh, at, in the first uh, first our first you know month or so after we we got married and we're getting back to work, going to work, and she had this Im image that she needed or this idea that she needed to get up and uh, in the morning and and prepare my uh, my my lunch for me so that I could go to work. And she tried that a few for I don't know a few days or whatever it was, and finally I, I looked at her and I said, you know, Marilyn, I, why don't you just let me do it myself? I'm much better at it in the morning than what you are. And mornings aren't, you know, doing that sort of stuff in the morning wasn't her thing. And and she's done a wonderful job, like all all of those years, she did a wonderful job of always making sure that there was something for me that I was okay with to have for my lunch. And so I would make my lunch in the morning, but she never made it for me after that. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I don't know if that's, that's one of those kinds of things, yeah. but she did that job of making sure the stuff was there. There's no question about that. I, yeah. I mean, there are times I contributed to it or whatever, but, but overall, uh, you know, she, she did that, but she making, making my lunch was the last thing I needed her to do because it took way longer for me to get out the door if she made my lunch and if I did it myself. And so that very quickly we resolved that one and, and it went on very well after that. That was, that was great. Yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> but but I think you know, for example, the years at the Comfort Inn, uh, the years that I worked there, and that was almost eighteen years there. Uh, I because our head office was in Toronto, and so they were three hours ahead. So by the time if I got there at seven, they were already at ten o'clock in the morning, and they were wondering where the heck are you? Right, it's getting later in the day. You haven't been at work yet. No, I mean they knew what, but but there was that kind of you know thing. But I think one of the things that I that I did every morning, uh, I would get up and have my and most of the house wasn't up yet necessarily by the time I left. And uh, and um, but I but for me, I I always went into the bedroom just as I was leaving, and uh, you know gave her gave her the good, good morning kiss and said, "Okay, I'm on my I'm on my way." That was that was part of the regular routine, just a little thing. I don't know. To me, it was always important. Yeah. Uh, I always came and said goodbye to her as I, as I was leaving on my way. And, uh, oh, she's, she's done all kinds of stuff for me over, over the years that way as well. And, you know, um, there's all kinds of things, uh, you know, even I think about during the years of the kids there, I'm just thinking whether there's anything specific. I mean, certainly her, her role in, um, and, uh, again, I'm not suggesting that that's, that's her role, but, but, uh, during those years, the fact that, that, uh, Prepare, preparing meals, you know, just, just doing that for the family on an ongoing regular basis. She doesn't do nearly as much. She's not interested in doing nearly as much cooking today. And, and, uh, 
there are times where I think, well, you used to do it all the time. You don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, no, that's great. She doesn't want to do it anymore. So I get involved. I have I have fun doing it. And, that's, you know, we, we do a lot more of it together today, much differently than what we did at that time. But that was what that was what she did. It was a contribution she made. And that was a, I mean, I, I guess I, 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 I valued that over over those years because it wasn't something that I did very easily because I was coming home and you know and she'd been at home with the kids and she she would yeah uh, what else what other specific little things that she would do I mean, just gave we I think we gave each other space to be who we were yeah um, that's one thing that makes so, me really disappoint like it concerns me a little bit because we do have this hesitation with saying that that was her role in mm. your family. And we get hesitant on whether or not that's something that's appropriate to say, or are we saying that about all women? And that's a, that's a frustrating thing that we're mm. in right now, because I think that there is a lot of growth in what we're saying women are capable of doing, which is great and incredibly important. Mm. But at the same time, when we talk mm. about our own families, there's still this, well, like my partner regularly makes our dinners as well. And but is that all women? Like there's this idea that when you say it, you might be meaning all women yeah. and that's never the position no. that people are coming from, hopefully. And for the most part, people are reasonable and talking about their own family. But that is one interesting thing that I didn't notice. You were like, well, not all women. And like, <laughs> I, I get it, but yeah. it's frustrating because that is your relationship <clears throat> and that was decisions you chose to make. And one thing I wanted to ask about was what was it like making that decision to choose your children over the income because again mm. a lot of people i know are choosing that income every single time all my friends are very focused on their income and not about the family values and i'm so proud of our community because i think that religion in our community has led to family values and trying to instill mm. that into our community and i've seen a lot of that i've grown up with a lot of great people whose parents have that mindset but what is that like for you to to kind of see this playing out? And what are your thoughts on the people who don't have those family values? And what, sorry, what was that? What, what was the experience like of making mm. that decision? Yeah. Well, certainly, uh, we I think we we made the decision, uh, you know, knowing full well um, that it had some implications. Um, there, there. There were there were um, implications of it, which at times um, I've thought, yeah, I guess that's that that is true. It did impact those things. For example, um, the ability of the kids to to uh, continue with education beyond high school. You know where where it starts to cost something, where there's financial decisions that have to be made, and then uh, how much of a loan do they take? How many years do they go to school? How big a loan do they want? And so there were those kinds of implications there, and there were times I'll, I'll be very honest about that. There were times that I looked at other families where it had been, you know, both parents were were working and drawing full incomes. And I looked at it and saw that, you know, their kids were able to go to school because they had a nice, uh, you know, much, much bigger package of money to start with than whatever it didn't cost them nearly as much. And they were perhaps able to carry on education further than what my kids did. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure whether they... And and there there are times where that that entered into the discussion with our kids, you know, the, at that point when the kids were going to university and they were saying, well... 
you know, I wish, I wish in a way I could go further, you know, but I don't know how much money I need. To, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to borrow. Do I want to do that or not? And, and so there were those discussions happened, I think, with each of the kids at some point. So that was part of part of that decision making. Um, in terms of, um, you know, as much as as much as we made that decision, I think uh, I want to be careful and make sure that I don't imply that uh, you know that's the only decision that should be made. I think there are situations where there are other people that make other kinds of decisions where they both are going to be employed and are both working. And does that mean that you can't have a good family and and solid values and all that sort of stuff? I think I don't think that's the case. Um, for us, it was our choice. You know, it was our decision to go that way. And and uh, and and I'm glad that we did. You know, Marilyn was typically at home when the kids came home from school, and uh, we didn't have to arrange for care for them. But uh, but she was the one that was providing that care, particularly when they came home from school, and. She will tell you today, and I think the kids would affirm that, um, that there were many times where uh, that's when interesting conversations about what happened at the day at school and uh, with friends or whatever it is that happened at that point. And, and she, she was the one that was there to, to hear them and to, you know, to work through them with the kids. I missed some of that. I would get it sometimes afterwards, uh, but, but I missed some of that. And uh, so she, you know, and, and, uh, well, they have a good relationship with their mother because of that. Um, not saying their I think their relationship with me is good as well, but but I think their their relationship with their mother is very good because of that, um, because she was there and was able to work through those kinds of things with them. And so, not sure if that answers exactly the question, but uh, that does. Uh, and just to jump on that, it's it doesn't feel like you made that decision like right when the child was born and then you committed to it all the way to the end, it sounds like you reevaluated throughout what was reasonable, what was working mm -hmm. and kind of reflected on whether or not that was the right decision. And I think that that's where maturity comes in, where you're willing to look back on that decision mm -hmm. and not just pretend that there wasn't difficult times and, and tough decisions that you were making between two very good goals to be home with the children, but to have enough for university. That's a mm -hmm. tough, that's a conversation every family should have, which is what is our priority here? And there were benefits to one and drawbacks to the other. Of course, there's going to be. Those are tough decisions that you have to mm -hmm. make about your family. And it sounds like everything worked out well and everybody's happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so great to be able to talk about those decisions because I think there's a lot of political pressure right now to have a certain viewpoint that both parent parents should be working and it, it's it's a very difficult conversation to have right now so i'm just grateful to have you on to be able to kind of discuss the decisions you actually made and not just discuss it in theory mm -hmm. and what was that like for the children now are they are they super happy with the decision what were their what were their thoughts when because i'm sure you had a conversation later on of of what was that like yeah, you know, like in other words, uh, how, how when they look back at it now, how, how do, are they are they thinking that, you know? Well, I think I think it would be fair to say that there there are times where the, where the comments have been made that yeah, I wish sometimes would have had a bitter, you know, that that I that I could have gone further with some things. I think there are some of those that those those comments have been made at times. I don't think it's been. At least I haven't felt it uh, in the sense that, oh, we really failed as parents because we didn't do that. I don't think they, any of them would say that today. 
because they also valued very much the fact that mom was home when they came home from school, for example. They, I think they've, they've all said that, uh, how much they valued that. Um, that and, uh, and I think <clears throat> when I look at particularly the, the older two that have uh, children that are now in school, they they are they are very conscious about uh, how how they interact with their kids and how they look after their kids, uh, particularly after school. And that, that I'm not saying that they haven't used some some care additional to uh, you know because they've both been those two both are are working to some extent, but they're 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 conscious of the fact that they want to be the ones that are parenting their children. And, and I think that's, that's probably the critical piece, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that, that they're the ones that are conscious, that they're the ones that want to be making the, you know, doing the parenting for their kids. Uh, and uh, I think that's kind of what we were saying as well. We wanted to be parenting our kids. Uh, and again, I'm not knocking daycares here. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. They, they, they provide a very valuable role. But uh, to what degree do you want to be the one that's uh, providing that uh, the uh, parenting for your kids, and uh, and uh, how how do you how do you manage that? How do you best make that happen? And so I think, uh, and and that's probably something that comes from our culture in in uh, in uh, North America, probably more. You know, I think when you think of uh, some uh, like the kids, a kid coming from from uh, Taiwan or or China and going to school here, you know, and being in a different setting. That's so. There's different different ways of parenting in, in different cultures, but I think that's one that comes in in North America or in our culture. It's probably more so. And I think when I when I think of it in terms of what I believe in my faith, that's where that's where it uh, uh, again. Uh, uh, my 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 view is very much that I think as as uh, as as a parent that's that's my that's my role is to is to do do the parenting and so I guess I kind of believe that because of my faith as well and I, I see that not that I'm gonna that that means I'm brainwashing kids that's not what I'm talking about no. here but I'm just saying that's my role is to encourage them and to grow uh, allow them to grow they've been they've been my they're they're, they're a gift to me that's uh, I mean that's the biblical view. If you want to look at it that way, uh, you know that that children are a gift to you. They're given to you by God to to raise and to uh, and to nurture and to allow them to sprout and to grow and to become people that are also going to be doing the the work that that should be done. Yeah. And so so you uh, you have a responsibility to take that to take that role and to to do that. You know it's a, it's a very biblical kind of value as well there for me. Well, that's one thing that I do want to talk to you about a lot because I think that it isn't something I've touched on enough and maybe I've been the one touching on it and talking about religious values mm. and where those come from too much where I'm not talking to people who actually hold those values. Mm. And the reason that it's so important that we hear from this is because your religious values have impacted your work at the Royal Hotel. They've impacted the way you've risen your children your family dynamics, how you've treated your partner, how you've interacted with vulnerable populations and the homeless communities. And it's overlapped with almost anything that's important to this podcast, role models, treating people properly, trying to be a pillar in the community. 
your religious values have impacted that. And for me not to talk about that or to avoid mm. that seems irresponsible because it is such an important part of who you are and it is where you draw, how you make decisions. And I think that that is a valuable thing to hear from and not us strongman it or try and like avoid that topic mm. in, in a negative way because it is something that helps shape you. Can you tell us a little bit about your religious values and where they come from, what it, it's called? Yeah. Boy, that's a that's that's a, that's a huge, huge and a, and a big a big topic, Aaron. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> um, the the church that I'm a part of is Sardis Community Church. Okay, over in Sardis there, and it's it's part of uh, what is uh, the uh, Mennonite Brethren of Churches in British Columbia. So it's a Mennonite church, and that's the that's the that's the home church, uh, uh, or that's the home group of churches that I that I grew up in. I grew up in Yarrow and that was the the Mennonite Brethren Church there. Um, but that that's the that's the church side of it. The value the values that come out of that is is um, I guess uh, how does one where does one start with that? That's an interesting uh, so we could talk a long time about that. But but basically basically what it is is it 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 I think here's here's the way of putting it. Uh, it it would look at the the get get, get very religious here, but let's do it. But okay, uh, basically, what it would look at is say that the life of Jesus uh, that lived, you know, at the at that the point at which we used to call BC and AD, right? Uh, the the life of Jesus is is pivotal in 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 the history in, in the history of God's relationship with with humanity. Uh, it, it acknowledges that God is the creator of the world and of the of the of of, of people, and uh, and and there was there was something that happened early on, and then there is this person of Jesus that comes along at that point in in in, in history, and uh, after that everything changes, and it's because uh, Jesus is this guy that that uh, for however he was born, we celebrate that with Christmas and. Whatever, but but basically, he he lived a life of for three years, which is recorded in the Gospels. Um, he lived more than three years. He lived a life of about thirty three years, but three years of 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 ministry, if you want to call it, of life, which was public, where people interacted with him, and that's recorded in the primarily in the Gospels. And he lived that for three years, and at the end of it, basically, the 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 culture that he lived in. Was so mad at him. the 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 religious culture that uh, was so mad at him that they convinced the Romans that they should uh, do what the Romans did with many people. They they crucified him. They put him on a cross. And the Romans were were known for doing that, right? And so they convinced them that uh, they should be doing that with this guy as well. So that was after three years of. So he must have really done something over three years. And if you if you and then and then the, so they crucified him and they stuck him in a in a in a in a cave in a tomb, and uh, the the informations the information the story the gospel stories the the evidence from people that lived and were there at the time is that three days later he he showed up in in different settings, and and he 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 was he was no longer dead but there was something different about him that it that it changed. So that that kind of pivotal kind of thing is there, in in the in, in history, and and that forms a, a basis for me that says that there's now a hope, which is much different than um, uh, that there's going to be something different coming down the road, 
um, than, than what we've experienced, where relationships are going to be changed, where this world is going to be changed, the environment's going to be changed. There's a renewal and there's, a, there's something else that's coming down the road. And this isn't a pie in the sky kind of thing. It's something that is beginning to happen today and is happening already. And, and so with that pivotal change that's occurred, that, that's, that's, uh, there, there's an infusion of something different into the world the religious word is that there's the spirit. There's an infusion of something else that's come into the world, and in particular, into people that acknowledge it and recognize it. And and I guess I've 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 seen that. I've dealt with that. I've I've reckoned with that in my own in my own life. And that's what's that's what's I don't know if the word is right to say that's what changed me because it, the the experience of that goes way back as a nine ten year old grew up in an environment, but as a nine ten year old, but. But that's been an ongoing kind of process of understanding what does that change mean? How is that recreating? How is that renewing um, me, the world that I live in, and all the people around me, the relationships that I'm in? That's what. Uh, that's the. Uh, so that's kind of what f- uh, forms the foundation. The foundation of that, and uh, and it and it comes to you know taking a look at this guy by the name of Jesus that lived at that point. And quite frankly, if you read what he says and what he did, it's getting off like a sermon, and I don't want that's not what I'm trying to do. But, but if you read what he said, the guy's either lunatic or he's or it's true, because he, it's not that he's just a good teacher. Because if he's just a good teacher, he says way too many things that only a lunatic would say as a teacher. And so you have to look at it from that perspective. That's and that's what I've had to do. I've had to look at it, and I've struggled with it at times. To be very honest, there are times when I've wondered where what am i doing with this thinking because it doesn't make sense and then at other times i've read something and yeah man that that's where that's where it's at and i'm beginning to see to experience that and at times i've experienced it differently than i have at other times and so it's an ongoing journey it's not something that's a you know there's something that happens at some point but it's an ongoing kind of thing and you keep and uh anyway but that's that's kind of the foundation of it that's uh, that's what it is that there, there's, there's more than what, what just presents here, you know, and it's, that's, 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 that's what I believe. That's, that's what I've seen, and and so that, <clears throat> that, that infusion from of, of of whatever comes into it comes into us in, in the spirit that works in the world, is uh, and it works in in people that acknowledge it. And there are times when I see when I acknowledge it and deal with it, and other times when it's it's just I haven't. I'm I'm a, I'm apart from it, but it's a, it's just something that just keeps moving you, and and, it, and it's an acknowledgement, and uh, I don't know of uh, I don't know if that's a good explanation for it, but it's uh, that is it does uh, it does lead me into something that I wanted to talk about, and I had mentioned to you before, which was that I think that one of the big problems that I ran into growing up was that there are these people who have established that that didn't happen and if you believe that you're unreasonable and that what's kind of caused what's kind of happened is that i don't hear anybody ever talk about the religious views unless mm. they're atheists mm. and unless they don't believe anything and then they're allowed to talk and even with this people might call it a religious podcast and that's that's something i'm going to have to grapple with which i'm fine with because I want to take the discussion seriously and I want to stop sidelining it and stop Mm. avoiding it. I want to hear the best experiences. And when you're saying that this has impacted your whole being, 
to 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 avoid it and not to talk about it is is again irresponsible but on top of that i hear comments about chilliwack about my community about abbotsford which is that we're just a bible belt mm. that we're we're stuck that we're not moving forward we're not progressive we're conservative we're just conservatives and we're just going to stay that way but there's a whole story underneath that mm-hmm. that deserves so much more respect than any of my peers give credit to which is that you grapple with it. You come back to it. It's not like at 10 years old, you chose to become religious and then you've just been stuck that way Mm -hmm. ever since. It's been something you've worked through and to treat anyone the way I once did, which was like you've heard brainwashed and those types of things. That's a misrepresentation of what's going on. People who are religious, who I actually talk to are educated and work hard to keep connected with their religion. They're reading the books. They're trying to understand. They're thinking about it. They haven't come to a conclusive decision sometimes. Sometimes they get pulled away from it. Sometimes they Mm -hmm. get pulled towards it. And it is a whole process of somebody who's being awake and reflecting and thinking, well, I didn't treat this person very well. What is my faith tell me that I should, how should I have approached this? And that reflection tells me that person isn't brainwashed. They're reflective. Mm -hmm. They're thinking. They're putting in work. They're trying to be an outstanding part of the community. And more recently, I've realized that I'm lucky to live in a community, even though I don't have a religious affiliation with a specific church, I'm lucky to live in a community with people who have a belief, who Mm -hmm. reflect on their belief and work through it and try and bring that to their community and try and let that manifest in pianos, in treating people properly, in trying to be a part of community organizations, is that is something that religious people can bring to the table. And that's why I think this conversation is so important. It's because that is underlying the great Mm. role models of Chilliwack is that most of them have a religious connection. And I have to Mm. treat that with respect and and dignity of that you're not just brainwashed. You are thinking these things through. You are pondering what these stories mean and how to interpret them properly. So Mm. please tell us more Mm. about where what it is like to be part of that church and what it's like to see other churches. Cause that's where I don't get to hear from people. Mm. Usually someone has a a belief, but I never get to hear about their thoughts on other belief systems. Mm. So have you ever had to interact with another belief? Oh, I think, uh, yes, um, certainly. And and more broadly at some points than at other points, I I would say, you know, just in, uh, before we speak to that specifically, but I think one of the things that, that I would, that I would uh, want to make sure is is clear is that, and I think you know one of, one of the statements that uh, Jesus makes is that he says, "Look, th- this is the way people are going to know that you're my followers, and that's if you love one another, and and you love the world around and the people around you, and that's really what it boils down to." And I guess so. I guess I I would just say I I I lament the the times where where you know you get the letter in the in the in the paper or something like that where where somebody on the basis of their their beliefs or whatever is 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 uh, is uh, putting somebody else down and 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 treating with disrespect somebody else who with whom they disagree or or you know it's a a, a perspective that they seem to think uh, is is inappropriate uh, lifestyle or whatever it is you know those kinds of things i i lament that because because um, the, uh, the 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 call the call that comes from god that comes from jesus and i'll say that say it in those words the call that comes there is 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 that uh, you know the the, the famous verse of, uh, is is that god so loved the world that he gave his only son 
and and uh, and 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 so if that's if that's how much he loved, I have no choice but to do the same. And so when when there's disrespect and uh, and and you know rudeness and all those kinds of things that are being thrown around out there in the name of religion, that that that's hurtful. It's very hurtful. I mean, it's hurtful to me. It's it's just the wrong way. And there are times when I wanted to write a letter as well, and it probably would have been the same thing. In fact, one time I had one letter, and I sent it to my good friend, and he says, "Len, don't send that." <laughs> and I thanked him so much for saying that, you know, because. Because uh, because that's just not the way to do it. That's not the mark of 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 people who have have followed followed Jesus, who have taken taken that position. That's not the mark. The mark is 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 that it should be the things of supporting other people and of loving and of caring and of walking alongside and and finding ways and solutions to to make things different and, and better. And I'll just give one a little example. The the church, the SARS Community Church that that we're at, uh, that we've been part of for well, since nineteen eighty for many years, but they have a they have a program called uh, Doorway, and uh, it's it's a it's it's run for I don't know how many years now. But a lady, one of the ladies from the church started. It's actually a separate program, um, but it's it's there for single moms who are who are having a Basically, single moms. I don't think that's any men are involved, but they they run they for single moms. It's one day a week during during the school year, and they run this program for single moms to come in and just get a morning out. And the moms can do almost anything they want. I think, but they have all kind, they have programs, parenting, uh, single mom parenting, financial supports, and and all kinds of stuff that they're doing. They're doing there, and they and they they do that one day a week. And and uh, the the impact that it's been on so many uh, single moms, and they come from all over the, in the community. They limit the number of people that can be there. But they've been doing this for a number of years, and the the changes that have occurred in a lot of those mums and their kids as well. There's all kinds of volunteers working with the kids, and there's all there's probably more volunteers in there than, than there are people there otherwise. But it's just an example of of just saying, look, we have to care for what's around us in the community, and we have to work with that. And there's no strings attached to anything. It's just a question of come, you know, if you you need help. Your question, though, in terms of other faiths and other beliefs, so this speaks to some people in, in within that. My experience with people of other, um, you know, other uh, religious traditions, you know, whether you're talking about the Islam or or whatever it is, is is probably fairly limited. It's not it's not extensive by any means, but um, I have at times uh, had you know employees that are of different faiths or whatever that that have worked with me, and uh, and. Uh, I found it very invigorating at times, depending on who it is, to the degree of having the discussion. And I don't mean by that in having a negative discussion or a confrontational kind of thing, although that might happen at some point. I don't recall that ever happening. But I remember one lady that worked with me for a while, uh, and she was uh, she was from uh, Pakistan, and uh, just a wonderful lady. I mean, and she was as committed to her faith and uh, you know as a, as a Islam. And she's just a fine, just a fine lady, and his children just so beautiful. Family, you know, a neat family. Got to know some of them, and met her from time to time over the years, and, and just just neat people. I don't, I don't know where to go with that other than to say that you know what, I, I just like her as a person, and she's a, she's a good person, and uh, 
I'm not going to make those decisions at the end. You know, at, at, at the end of time when all of this stuff, you know, talk about whatever is going to happen to the world, uh, how it ends or whatever, and what the resurrection and all, all those kinds of things are going to look like. I don't know all the answers to that, but, but I don't know how that's going to go. But I know that, again, I'll come back to the fact that, as I see it, there's, there's, a, loving, there's a loving God there. And uh, he's created this, the, the humanity and the world that we live in. He's cre- created the humanity, and he wants nothing more than to to enjoy the relationship together with them. And so, how he's going to deal with uh, people of other faiths and other races and or or faiths or other ways of thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that he's he's pretty trustworthy. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the that's kind of the the way I've I've, I've approached that, and I I enjoy the interaction. Yeah. Um, you know. So from my experience, I don't know if you've heard, but I've been doing the Jordan Peterson biblical series. And so he goes through Adam and Eve and talking about the psychological okay. effects of it. And so I've been really trying to get into understanding it better. And so for the, um, I think I've already talked about this, but the Cain and Abel story is so interesting because it is true in like not a literal sense. It's mm. true that there's always two brothers, whether it's like Thor and Loki from the Avengers. I like there's always two people and they have two different mindsets and there's a Cain mindset of mm. of wanting of not making the right sacrifices and being at the mad at the world for that. And I see a lot of people mad at the world mm. for how things are and a lot of anti-human rhetoric of wouldn't it be better if humans just weren't here anymore? Wouldn't wouldn't the uh, like the health of the earth be better? And it's like mm-hmm. you don't under you're what you're missing is the value of a person and the fact that that person can choose from right and wrong and improve everything around them till the day they die or make mm. everything worse. And so that's true whether or not I'm religious or not, that is the case that some people have these negative mindsets. And then there's the person who's willing to make sacrifices, give back to the community, and that's able. So even if you're not religious, you can still pull Mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge and a lot of ability to move forward in the world better because of these stories. And Mm -hmm. that's where I've started. So I've Mm -hmm. I've finished the biblical series, but I'm still hungry Mm -hmm. for more because it proved to me that all of my comments about religion were wrong they were unfounded Mm. because there was a depth to the stories that i had never thought about i'd never thought about harry potter and the impacts of the biblical series on jk rowling who wrote the stories who who saw these types of relationships like i know so many people who say they aren't religious Mm -hmm. and then they love the avengers movies and it's like you don't think these people are making (laughs) sacrifice you don't think they're reliving these original stories Uh in some form or another pinocchio is another one where this person wishes his son to be a real boy and Mm -hmm. the fairy says to be a real boy to be a real person you have to make the right sacrifices you have to treat other people well you have to be a good person you have to know the difference between right and wrong to be a good boy and then he goes off and he makes a bunch of mistakes and he handles things wrong and he doesn't listen to his conscience, which is a cricket. Mm. And so realizing that the stories are there, I enjoyed the stories without realizing it. And so to say that you're not religious when you're enjoying the Avengers, Harry Potter, um, Lord of the Rings, all of those <laughs> movies is just silly because the story is rooted in the original stories, the mm-hmm. archetypal stories of how mm. these things are. And so that's where I've been able to humble myself and then look at 
the newspaper and be frustrated because a lot of people aren't taking these conversations seriously anymore. And we, a lot of people have just done away with religion and basically say they're all the same. I disagree with all of them. And it's like, you haven't even read the stories yet. You don't even realize the depth. What is that like for you to live in a community where we do have a strong religious population, but we do have Mm -hmm. a small minority of people who have probably never written, writ, read any of the books, have no understanding of where you're coming from, a person who's just trying to uphold his community. What is that like for you to see? I guess what I would add is that I believe you treat these people who you disagree with on this issue, you treat them with respect. But what I see out of yeah. the newspaper is, or out of any publication, is less and less respect yeah. for where you're coming from. And that's what concerns me is the lack of respect on the other side of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think that's true, and that uh, I find that I mean there are times where where I find it disappointing. Um, I I I often feel like you know I I wish I could challenge somebody to just you know take a look and read something. I, I have uh, one good friend uh, that that uh, uh, not a stupid person, very very intelligent person, and uh, and and I, I at, you know. The, Claims to be an atheist, whatever, whatever, and 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 so there's a there's a, there's this you know bantering back and forth at times on with regards to stuff, but my my concern at some points is that and, and this person has has done some reading. It's not like, but but there's some really interesting and very profound reading that can be done, and you can educate yourself to it. And you know, like like you said, uh, some people just haven't. Some people just haven't looked at it, and it and it bothers me when they're, uh, you know, it, it disappoints me. I guess when when I feel like they're they're just not prepared to even read what what could be there, and and uh, in fact, in one case, uh, I said to one person, I said, "Look, I I don't even care whether you believe this book or believe what what's written in this book or not, but you're intelligent enough to to point out some of its errors if indeed there are some. So I'd like you to read it just to get back to me on that, so that I can uh, can deal with that." So that's 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 the one that's one side of it. Um, the other the other one, and that is that when when in in the going back into into church history here, uh, looking particularly at the you know the first and second century or whatever after you know the, in the in those years just after Jesus was on this earth, and then left or you know is no longer seen. But if you look at the way that that church exploded or exploded or what, but distributed through particularly around the Mediterranean and then even eventually beyond that, and who knows exactly how far, because you'll find, you know, Christians in uh, from from way back there in India, and you'll find, you know, where that have roots from those years. But when they rather than than, than um, they, how shall I put it? They they worked at the fringes. Of society, as opposed to trying to change uh, what uh, Constantine did by making it Christendom, right, where it became the state religion, and they worked at the fringes, and that's where the huge impact on society came from, by working in the fringes. And so, I guess sometimes when 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 I see some of these kinds of things, and this is where the, my one friend has has been very influential to me there. There are times where, because I've been involved on the BIA board and I was on the tourism board for many years, you know, and I, and and so I I I've uh, I I've uh, been at at the seat of some things where there were some ab- was ability to 
influence some things in the community. And I'm not talking about uh, religious faith here. I'm just talking about, yeah. but I've been involved in that. And and uh, and and so there's times when I feel like, well, you know, we should we we should just make those kinds of statements publicly or whatever it is. And then the his question often to me is, well, okay, does that really make that much difference, or does it make more difference if if um, if 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 you and I, or if if I become involved with the stuff that's happening around the outside, uh, the fringes of the stuff, or in 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 one on one ways, and we interact at that level, and where's the greater impact? And so I don't know if that kind of answers your question. So there there are times where you know I don't I don't think uh, I uh, we're we're in a world which is very different. Um, than the Constantinian Christendom, you know, like we're post-Christian in that sense, and and I think it's much better, because I think the the influence that that uh, people who are who who are are part of the 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 work of the church, the work of the church, or the 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 kind of thing that Jesus asked us to do, uh, it, that you if you participate in that. Um, you don't need to be in the in the halls of power to do to make that happen. In fact, you're probably better off at making st- that stuff really happen if you're not in the walls uh, halls of power. Yeah, if that makes sense. That does make sense. So yeah, so yeah, so I don't know. So when you're when you're coming across these people who, I'm just more focused on what happens when you have to read something that's so blatantly disrespectful to your your values and where you're not you like as you've said on this podcast you're not here to push them on other people you're not here to force people to agree with what you're saying but it's that respect of you have a belief and we should let people have their beliefs that's where i see there's a huge movement mm. to try and just unreligiousize people in some sort of way where it's being put so blatantly on papers that you that say like religion is a bad idea. And if we just stopped having these religious people with these ideas, then everything would just be perfect. And that's what frustrates me when I'm reading it, even as a person who doesn't identify with the faith, it's like, you're not treating this issue with credence and respect. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's, I'm going to use the word, uh, that's an, an ignorant response. And I don't mean that as a, derogatory term. yeah yeah but it's but it's it's just an ignorant response that doesn't doesn't recognize uh what what people of of faith are doing in your community uh, you, you look at the work the, the kind of thing the salvation army does and they're people of faith i'll tell you yeah. they, and and uh they 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 are they're involved and and uh, they're they're doing incredible kinds of stuff. You look at the stuff that Ruth and Naomi is doing. I mean, and again, where's where's the root of that? I mean, boy, that was that the root of it is is in is is in faith. And then like the program I mentioned at our church, and that's just that's just a few of them. And and uh, you know, there it's repl- the the community is replete with that. I know in um, I don't know what the name of the program is, but in Abbotsford, there's a. There's a program from one of the one of the churches uh, that 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 is uh, that's that's working with the, the the street worker, the prostitutes, or you know the people on the street, and 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 it's it's a, it's a it's a uh, no strings attached kind of kind of program of service, you know, and uh, that they're doing and they're working working with them, but they're just they're just knowing that these are people that are looking for something different, um, you know. There's the um, 
uh, what they called uh, the the adult and, and teen challenge program that's in Yarrow for drug for drug use. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. There, there, it's in Yarrow on 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 Eckerd Road there, Eckerd Street, and uh, they they're dealing they're working with uh, it, like it comes out of a program that started many years ago in Bronx in in New York, but by a guy named Wilkerson, I forget his first name, but anyway. But it's Adult and Teen Challenge, and they, they, there's no government funding coming to it at all. It's all just paid by either people that are attending the program or churches or whatever responding. And they have an adult an, a men's center in, in Yarrow, and they've got a women's center in Abbotsford. And boy, you listen to the stories of those women and those men telling their stories of their drug, you know, how they've been just bound by the drug, the drug stuff. And and how they've been, how they've uh, found something different, how they've released, they've released, and not not perfect. Not everybody makes it, but major, they're incredible. And but I'm just saying that it it it, it those kind those kinds of things are all over in the community, and the churches the churches are doing are are involved in that. And so yeah, at some points it's 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 it's, it's ignorance to of of just not knowing of what what is really happening and and. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I read it sometimes too, and then I uh, forget. Uh, forget it. Don't read it. Don't read it. It's too. It could be. You know, it annoys me sometimes. And I wish these people would. But the question is, how do you? How do you? How are you? If you're going to address it, how are you going to address it? Because if, if somebody's, you know, if somebody's already got their mind made up, you know, what's the, what's the comment? Uh, something about if if I change your opinion against your will, you're of the same opinion still. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And and so so unless the person is experiencing it and 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 sees it firsthand and is part of it, you know, it, it's really hard to. And so you know, it, there's lots enough to do. Just go and do it. Yeah. Just, abs- yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think of the uh, if I can just the, that one little story of that fellow. Uh, remember, a couple of years ago, there was a fellow that. Uh, in the paper, the, uh, because he had painted over some graffiti in the in the tunnel, you know, uh, under the railway, that was offensive graffiti or whatever it was, uh, racist kind of stuff. And um, do you remember the story? And and I think he eventually got deported back to the UK because he had grown. He had been a very white supremacist kind of person in the UK, and then when his child was born. He'd been in the hospital, and uh, and his wife was in, or his partner was encountering some ma- major difficulties, and the people that looked after his wife were were not white, and at first he was offended by it, and then when he saw the care and the, the way they <clears throat> looked after her and everything that happened, it turned his life around. It changed his perspective, and and when he came here and he said, "That's why I'm doing this because I'm no longer that guy that was that." Now, unfortunately, I think he was, I don't know whether he was uh, deported back to the UK or not because of something, I don't know, some unfinished stuff there. But anyway, when you experience something like that, that's when that's when it can change you, right? Yeah. And so as a, as a person of that faith, uh, my kind of way of looking at it is, uh, and I, like I say, my good friend encourages me in that, uh, that, you know what, just, just work with the one-on-one, you know, those, uh, those kinds of situations where you are so that the people can experience it. Because if you challenge the, 
the the story in the in the newspaper or whatever it is, eh, some people will be convinced, but most of them are going to they're of the same opinion still. So well, and that's why I like this as a platform to be able to go over these things when people do have mm-hmm. a religious substructure that they operate with is because that is a part of who you are. For me to avoid mm-hmm. that question again would be unfair to you because that does influence your decisions, and so that's why I want to make sure that that is a part of what I respect and make sure that you have the opportunity to tell your experience because as as you've said, you're not trying to sell anything. You're not trying to convince other people of anything, but this is who you are. And that's what the podcast is about, who who you are and how did you get here? And that's one of the components I think is important. Mm -hmm. So appreciate that. Absolutely. So the last thing I want to talk a little bit about is Garrison Running Co. and your running experience. Because when I worked at the hotel, you were always finishing a run (laughs) or about to go for a run. And I started thereafter. I think I did my first half marathon after I had worked at the hotel Mm. with you. And so that is something that you kind of showed me when I was there was a little bit more about running. And that was always Mm. a part of what you've been up to. And then this morning I did Mount Tom and you went for a trail run, I think. So let's talk about it. Oh, well, Garrison Running Co. is a good, great place as far as that goes. I mean, Janet, uh, the the owner of the place is, uh, I mean, she's coordinated the run for water for years and, uh, and, uh, she knows the running industry. She's she's a runner herself and has done some incredible running over the years. And so she can, if you need if if, if you need to know what you need, uh, she can she can certainly speak to it from from a lot of good experience. And uh, yeah, good place. I mean, I bought I bought some shoes there, and uh, they they've been just so supportive with uh, the. I, I also sit on the Around the Lake uh, Trail Race Society. That's the 30k around Caldas Lake Trail yeah. Race. That's Pardon me. It's supposed to happen in October, but it's not happening this year because of COVID. But uh, she's been very supportive of that. She's been involved with it as well, coordinating a bunch of it. But the running coal has been, uh, Garrison Running Coal has been very much a part of that too. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, yeah, that uh, great, you know, good, good store, good, good place to get that in sort of information. Awesome. And what has your running experience been like? Well, you know, actually I've, I've, I, I, uh, I've had an injury in the knee, my or I, I've had some knee damage, and so I've uh, for about a year and a half I didn't run at all, and I've been back to running just one day a week at this point, and it's my wonderful time of running trails on Saturday mornings like it was this morning, and uh, Aaron, a good two-hour run exfoliates the soul. That's my that's my line. Two hours. Two hours. Well, about eleven k this morning. Wow. We we're out for two hours and probably about what uh, six hundred meters of elevation or something like. 600 meters? Yeah, probably six, 700 meters of elevation or whatever. So it's out for two hours. It's a wonderful time. It's a great time. I mean, it's a camaraderie with other people as well. And, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Uh, I've, I've been doing that running. Well, I've run that, I don't know for how many years, but it's been the last year now that I've been back just one day, one day a week. And that's, because my knee is, I want to keep my knee for a few more years. And so as long as I can do one day a week in a couple of hours, and I was going to run the run for water back in spring. And of course that's canceled. That was got canceled. That's a, there's a 10, like on Sumas Mountain, there's a trail run on, uh, it was back in May, end of May. And that was canceled, but there's a 10 K, uh, uh, trail run there. I was going to do that this year. And, uh, then I, w- I might've done the, uh, 
uh, around the lake, just the relay part. There's a like it's a 30k race, but uh, you can do it as a relay. The big out between 16 and 14 or something like that. And I was probably gonna, I was hoping to run one of the legs, but basically the race isn't happening this year, so because okay. of COVID. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, uh, it it's it's good it's good for the it's good for the heart. It's uh, it's it's really good for the head as well because some good hard workout like that is really good and uh, and uh, yeah I, I love it I love it it's uh, I don't know it, it'll be a that year and a half that I didn't run that was that was not a not a fun year in that sense that's so unfortunate because that was such <laughs> a huge part of HDA. oh yeah when I'd come to work you'd either yeah. finished one or you were heading yeah. on one and you were very focused on getting uh, it done yeah. and yeah. you were involved with the run for water back then as well yeah. and I think that that's so awesome because that is how you've been throughout this whole podcast which is community involvement connecting people yeah. and trying to put forward really good ideas yeah yeah it's been good and and it certainly has done you good too you know I you know, just uh, you, you, you were pretty soft and round when you came to the I hotel. Was. You look, you look a whole sight different at this point, and that's good. That's yes, good. I, I don't know what inspired you, whether it was some of that or whatever. But I know that I, I know you did back then. You already started some different stuff, some uh, training and stuff. So yeah, when I started at the hotel, I was probably like two twenty. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Wow. And all fat, no muscle, not an ounce <laughs> of muscle on me. And yeah, over that time, you even noticed it when I had given my resignation. I was like, oh, like I'm leaving. And you're like, well, like one of the biggest changes has been your yeah. absolute appearance because yeah. I had to change, I don't know how many times over that year, mm. my dress shirts and have to buy new ones yeah. because I kept changing size and I kept getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was something you definitely influenced me on because you I think you invited me on the run for water mm. back when it was going on. And Probably. I think I said no, but because it was like 30 kilometers or 15 <laughs> kilometers, which I was nowhere near then. But yeah, yeah. Um, I was so grateful to have you on and have the opportunity to talk about these issues, to talk about the Royal Hotel, which I do think is incredibly important. I'm so grateful to have had you on. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, I and uh, I, I hope we... You know, I, I I will just say one more thing, if I may. Remember I said to you a long time ago when you started there, when we were talking politics at one point and you'd help somebody, I said, the only thing I know is that someday I'm probably going to have to make a decision about whether I vote for you. You, you haven't have, decided that yet, have you? You do, you do not have to worry about that. I oh. have no political plans in my future. I think, oh. I think this is where I like to be just because the hard part about politics is – they're complex issues and people want soundbite answers. Yeah. I'd much rather have long-form discussions on the issue <laughs> than ever try and simplify one side or the other. Well, my comment would just be that, Aaron, you bring a lot to the table and you, you, you've you been working very hard at doing that. And so just continue to do that. Blessings on you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure.